Hello everybody and welcome to the second episode of our panel reviews for Spill Your Beans. Today I am joined by two film students and very good friends of mine, Alex Baldring and Daniel Matthews. Hello, gents. Hello. Hi. Hello. Today, <laughs> today we are going to be talking about uh, Chris Nolan films. Um, of course, there's a lot of films to get through and the last time we did one of these panel reviews, it was quite interesting talking about the sort of Oscar ones and we sort of dashed over a few of them and then talked in depth about quite a few as well but i feel like christopher nolan films have a lot to be talked about so we're not going to dilly dally with the intro too much um same goes as last time we're going to both both we're going to all have uh, a list of 11 films from worst to best and we're all going to talk through them and review each one when we've all mentioned said film if that didn't make any sense to you you'd be normal but you'll follow along as we go with the podcast i'm absolutely sure so um yeah welcome Chris Nolan. <laughs> what a guy. What, what a man. <laughs> um, I will just start in with 11th place then. So I'm going to kick off my 11th place uh, for Christopher Nolan films with following. Ooh. Um, Daniel, what's your 11th place? Oh, so my bottom tier, Christopher Nolan here. So this is kind of like the really bottom of the pile mm. by quite a bit. For me, it's actually Tenet. 2020. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Baldry? Uh, I'm going to add to the Tenet pile. It's not oh, good. okay. Right. Interesting. Um, we go with 10th place now, since we all haven't mentioned the same thing. Um, Alex? Uh, for 10, for me, it's following. Daniel? So it's kind of like middle tier now for me. So this is quite, this next film is a lot higher than that previous film, let's make it clear. But if I say 11 is Tenet and 10 is another film, it might sound though it's marginally better. I might clear this is a lot better. So my middle tier is quite interchangeable. Right. Okay, so um, I'll say following. Following, okay. And funnily enough, my 10th place is Tenet. Um, it feels like we've all got a lot to get off our chest about Tenet, just from the general <laughs> vibe that's going around. I think we'll start with um, Tenet, which is the most recent, uh, recently released Christopher Nolan film which came out last year right at the end of the first original lockdown and just before we all went back in again so it was the one experience in the cinema did you guys see this in the cinema I did yeah I, I, I saw an IMAX yeah brilliant Ooh. What, did, did you all oh, right yeah yeah well we'll get on to that Tenet why do we all dislike Tenet then oh I don't know it everyone I suppose it was overhyped. A lot of people were saying, "Oh, it's the it's the return to to cinema." You know, it's the the savior of cinemas. It's going to get everyone back in mm. after what I guess what it was eight months of lockdown. Mm. Um, yeah. And so there was kind of a lot resting on it. I mean, maybe I was unfair on it. Maybe I should give it a. It was the only film I didn't rewatch uh, mm. to prepare for this podcast because I'd seen it quite recently and I don't like it. Mm. But uh, I think I should give it another chance eventually. I don't think. I don't know. I think a lot of people don't like it. Because it's quite, uh, I don't know, what's the word? Complex, I guess, is the best way. It's, it's quite hard to follow. Yeah. But I, I don't think it particularly was. I think, yeah, I, I think the thing with Nolan films is you're always expecting it to have some sort of complexity in it. Um, hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, most of the time anyway. And I feel like Tenet did provide that, but I think there's just, there comes a point where you shouldn't have to rely on, like, 10 rewatches to like thoroughly understand the story i feel like you should be able to watch it once get it and enjoy it and then find more when you rewatch it mm. like i mean 
there's a lot of Nolan films that I have only just seen once that I do love and I will rewatch it and I'm sure I'll see lots of new things but with Tenet it's like I feel like before I even get those new things I'm going to have to get two or three rewatches out of the way first and I'm not prepared to do that because it it wasn't really one that I enjoyed too much. Yeah, I mean, I think to me that it wasn't the necessarily the story that made it hard to follow, but the the sound mixing, the dialogue. Well, yeah, that as well, of course. There was a lot of exposition, and I couldn't really hear much of it, so mm. it made it very hard to kind of... The characters' motivations, I spent a lot of the film going, well, why, why are they doing that? Why are they doing this? Yeah. And I kind of had to work it out. I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting one. You're quite a big fan of... Nolan Daniel, which is why I sort of wanted you on this because I know you'd have a lot to say about a lot of these films. Um, and I don't think I've ever like properly talked to you about Tenet. And I know that Tenet's one of those films that it seems that you either love it or hate it, really. Um, and there's a lot of sort of, uh, I, wouldn't, I don't want to say controversy, but there's a lot of conversation online about um, Tenet and whether or not it is actually an unsung masterpiece that people are just overlooking or not. A lot of people say it's just a bit crap and not as good as his other films, but there are some really big Chris Nolan fans who are like, actually, no, if you rewatch it and rewatch it and rewatch it, like this is like a this is one of his best films. Um, what do you think you have to say about that? Because I think that's interesting. Well, I've watched it twice, once mm. in the cinema and then once on home viewing. And I'll admit, on second viewing, I did take a lot more away from it. You notice smaller things and how you just kind of... I, got, I found myself getting more involved in it. Also, it helped that I put subtitles on so I can read that exposition. <laughs> I wasn't trying to go, hey, hold on, what was that? I was munching the popcorn in the cinema. I could actually read what was being said. Yeah. I'll be honest, I, didn't, I, th I thought I'd gain more from the subtitles, but I didn't. And go, like, I gained a couple of new insights, but it's hardly a, a brand new experience. But with Tenet, for me, it's an interesting one. Because a fascinating concept, but I don't think it's consistently executed well. There are moments where I'm like, okay, this is really coming together now. Yeah, I can see what Chris is going for here, or Mr. Nolan is going for here. But yeah, yeah, yeah. at the same time, there's certain moments where it really it feels very heavy-handed, particularly when it comes to exposition. Like, because Christopher Nolan, I think we can all, even the biggest fans, can admit that he does have issues when it comes to exposition. There are often mm. characters whose sole role is there to say, here's information which you need to understand the film. Yeah. I feel like <clears throat> Tenet is kind of like the worst use of that kind of plot kind of uh, plot device. Mm. And there's quite a few moments of heavy-handed exposition. And like, as a result of that so much exposition, the characters have to take a backseat to that plot. And kind of like, they're very thin-layered characters. I, I can't even remember... Like the motivation of any of the characters, really, like just kind of there. That's kind of shame, really. I think that yeah. it's an oversight to say that Christopher Nolan doesn't make good characters. He can when he wants to, but sometimes he can't, he kind of focuses rather on plot of a character. You know what I mean? Hmm. I think there's yeah. a lot of interesting elements in Tenet. Um, I think one thing for me, which is only a minor point, because um, I feel like a huge thing about cinema nowadays is advertising and trailers, and I feel like. Tenet gave away a lot in the trailers a lot of the big yeah. spectacle moments it's a Christopher Nolan film like you don't have to show much in the trailer to get people in seats like people are going to watch it either way um I feel like they did show a little bit too much in the trailer some of the biggest like spectacle scenes in the film like the motorway chase yeah like this sort like of with the car yeah, yeah, flipping yeah, over the car like doing I was like, the I was like flip. that's such a cool scene but I'd rather watch it first time yeah. in a cinema being wowed by it rather yeah. than having it kind of like just like I'm waiting for it to happen now Mm, it's like mm. when you hear a line in the trailer it's waiting for the whole film to hear that line come up you can yeah. always say it in time you've seen the trailer so many times you can just repeat it and say it at the same time mm. which is probably not a good thing when you're watching no. a film for the first time I think it, it suffers as well a little bit in the department of that it, 
you know, Christopher Nolan can do some brilliant twists and is a master at storytelling a lot of the time. But I think in this, it suffered a little bit again from predictability. I think in the scene, um, now again, I'm trying to recall back now, but in the scene where they sort of go to that facility for the first time and they fight the sort of the people in the black sort of suits you can't see who they are and then like and then like robert pattinson's character sort of turns around sort of notes him and then sort of walks off and you see him in the next scene it's like it feels too obvious and i know that's such a common nitpick of the film but it Mm. is obvious and i feel like some of his best films work on that sort of delivery of this sort of phenomenal surprise that you didn't expect coming or you couldn't have predicted again we'll get on to like stuff like the prestige but i think that's where it's mastered I think this sort of it's just badly executed in my opinion with yeah, this. Yeah, the weaker implementation. I yeah, and it was. I think the problem with Tenet was that it was just disappointing because Nolan's had a really good run of solid films over the years, and even the sort of worst ones, as we'll talk about on this list, like even some of the sort of weaker ones, I feel like are still pretty good. And I do get a lot of enjoyment out of Tenet, but it's hard to rate it that highly when, actually, especially when you compare it to some of his other films. Definitely. I don't want to just give it the pass because it's Christopher Nolan and it's got a few good shots and a few creative ideas in it. There are definitely moments yeah. where I was like, oh, that's interesting, that's that's cool. But I, I think overall, and I think, obviously, I don't think any of us here are going to disagree with that. I think it was just a disappointing outing from him. Yeah, I mean, I mean, here's the thing. Uh, it's not a bad film. It's not a terrible film. It's, it's really well made. The performances are all, you know, at worst, good. And at mm. best, there are some great performances in that film. Um, um, uh, sorry, I just remembered Kenneth Branagh. Uh, <laughs> his, his acting was fine. He's a great actor, and I like him a lot, but his accent was not it. I'm sorry. It was yeah. Russian, wasn't it? Just to check that. I'll make sure it's a Russian accent, or like a I Ukrainian so. Russian accent. <laughs> um, but it yeah. did just kind of feel like Chris Nolan trying to be Christopher Nolan, if you know what I mean. It felt it feels like he's done too much. Of, yeah, exactly, like a self-parody. I think there was, kind again, of, yeah. It, yeah, I think there's one of the, it's one of those films where there are really interesting ideas in it. You're just like, I wish you'd done it in a slightly different way. Um, I, I kind of like the ending with um, Robert, Robert Patterson's character and what they did with that. Um, I don't want to give away too much. We're definitely going to get into spoilers of some of these films in this list anyway. I mean, obviously, if you haven't listened or what, sorry, if you haven't watched these films and we're talking about them, avoid it. Because a lot of Nolan's films do rely on not really knowing much about it going in. So please do... You know, don't listen to us talking about a film if you haven't seen it. Just a pre Go watch it now. Yeah. Bruce Wayne is Batman, by the way. Oh, for... I said no spoilers, Alex. Come on, I'm we're sorry, not even on to Batman yet. Um... I'm, I'm out of here. Mic drop. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think there's a lot of interesting ideas and a lot of good executions of individual scenes. And I'm sure it's one of those films that I'll go back and I'll watch clips on YouTube and be like, oh, this looks pretty good. But then I rewatch the film and I'm like, I was wrong. Yeah, <laughs> one thing it does deserve praise though that cinematography. I think it's Hoist and the Hoist mode. Who's DOP on that film? The cinematography is lush. The IMAX shots look crisp, and I've got a copy on 4K here, and like the it really does look fantastic. And it's just really, I think it, the cinematography kind of sometimes makes up for the some scenes as exposition, but the lush cinematography can make up for it sometimes. Not always, but sometimes your eyes are kind of distracted by the beauty of what you're seeing that you kind of tune out of some of the more tedious exposition. I, That's I think, just me, yes. I think just another uh, a positive mention about the film as well. <laughs> Try and drag anything positive out of this film. Um, the score was really good. Uh, Ludwig Göransson, who obviously hasn't done many Nolan's films, obviously Hans Zimmer's very notorious with a lot of these films that we're talking about today. Uh, but I think 
did a good job with the score. I quite liked some of it. I did not like the score. Did you not? Uh, no. And I, I really like Ludwig Göransson. I think his, his other work is incredible. Black Panther is really, really good. Mm. The work he did on that. Um, obviously, The Mandalorian. Mandalorian, is yeah. An incredible score. Uh, I think he did the Creed films too, but I haven't seen Yeah. Mm. Uh, but I did not. I didn't like it. I don't think it... I mean, it might for me, it might just be um, the, the volume of it. It might have been annoying me more because I couldn't hear what they were saying beneath the score and maybe actually the score itself is fine but for me it just didn't I mean it fit the it fit the film perfectly but yeah, it's not I, the sort of thing I would go back to listen to no, maybe not I, I guess that's right I mean it's definitely not as iconic as some of the um, Zimmer scores for um, some of these films that we'll talk about today but I think um, I couldn't have imagined a Hans Zimmer score to this film I don't know if it would have fit the sort of very and I know he's a very talented um, composer but I, I think for this film specifically, I think it needed a slightly different tone. And I also feel, again as well, I mean, how many films has Nolan done? I don't know I'm asking that question. There's 11 uh, feature-length ones anyway. But um, it's, you know, it, you don't want to get into the same sort of loop where it's the same sort of thing every time. And I think it's interesting the choice to go with a different composer. Or maybe Hans Zimmer just wasn't available. Maybe that's just it. But if it's a creative choice, I kind of, I think it's an interesting creative choice. And I, I don't particularly mind it. It's definitely no, like, it's, I don't think it's as good as, you know, definitely a lot of the soundtracks on this list, but I definitely do think it still stands out a bit, and I still quite like the soundtrack. I'm gonna, I'm gonna die on that hill. Okay, I mean, <laughs> I don't get me wrong, I've got, I've got yeah. nothing against it. You're completely welcome to enjoy it. It's just not for me. Mm. Yeah, I was quite mixed in it as well. I think that I think the reason why Hans Zimmer didn't do it because he's doing Danny Villeneuve's Dune, which is coming out this year, I think, or next year. Mm. So he was unavailable, which is why Lubu Gorenson stepped in. But I think it's a I have mixed feelings about it. At moments, I like, think it really works in synergy with this, with the visual action, like some of the action scenes. It really comes together, it really melds together. But then, like how at the same time, it's more personal preference. I can't. It's it just personal opinion. I personally prefer more motivic and melodic scores personally. And I couldn't help but notice the score is very electronic, very much kind of like mm. like how I don't want to sound derivative, but DNB like like very much kind of very. Yeah, that sort of style and how it's just personal preference is not my cup of tea. I prefer posterity. My favorite track is launch has is used in the trailer with the piano. It's really nice use mm. of melody and electronic music. That's just personal preference. Yeah, so take that with a lot of salt. No, that's interesting. I think on the on the flip side of that, I I can't imagine like Zimmer's tracks for like the other films working in this sort of style. I think yeah. it's a very different type of Nolan film, and I think the the style of it focuses a lot on that. Um, that sort of more oh, like the electronic it, it does kind of fit and as much as I agree I definitely wouldn't like choose to listen to this soundtrack over other like Nolan film scores um, yeah I still think it has merit I do think it fits and I couldn't have imagined I mean maybe obviously like with, with the right direction and all that sort of thing I'm sure Hans Zimmer probably would have provided like a, a very good score for this as well if he was working on it but I do think it wasn't a bad choice and I don't feel I think when I was watching the film, as much as the sound mixing was an issue, um, I did enjoy the music in this, and I did actually quite like it. I couldn't have imagined it, and I keep referring to that point, but I couldn't have imagined Hans Zimmer doing that, and I feel like it blends in enough where you're not noticing it too much, which you could say is also a bit of an issue if you're not noticing it, because obviously some of these films have very iconic soundtracks and scores that leave you, like, you leave the cinema humming. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, I, I've heard criticism of uh, Nolan before, 
with people saying he, he leans on his scores a bit too much. He mm. kind of depends on them for, I don't know, emotional beats, for mm. setting the tone. And I, I, think, I think that's not necessarily true for a lot of his films, but for this one, I mean, for, I wouldn't say that this score is giving anyone any, any emotions, but it's... Uh, <laughs> It's, <laughs> yeah. It is. Um, I, I don't know. It seems to be like the driving force of the film. That might be why it's quite sort of. To me, it seemed quite forward in the mix. Mm. Talking about the mix, though, I did hear that that's not necessarily how Nolan intended it, but that he mixed the film for like high-end, incredible, very expensive speakers, like I mean- and and didn't mix it for. Cheaper speakers in in sort of less rich cinemas, I guess. I I, but I think as well, like as much as I love that idea and I respect that, I think that like even if it was if it was just mixed for sound systems in normal cinemas, never mind ultra bloody like expensive speakers like in the top end cinemas, like most people in the future will be watching this on a sort of digital release streaming or on yeah. like a DVD or something. I feel like to I think you've got to market it with a focus slightly on home release stuff because that's where most people are going to watch it. That's where most of the viewings of this film are going to happen. Um, even if it was a big cinematic event, you can't deny with any film, really, when it comes out in cinema, a lot of people will see it. But if you mix it specifically where it just works in cinema and then not at home, you, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Even more so if you don't even mix it right for normal cinemas. Which is the yeah. problem with this film a little bit. Now, I haven't listened to the home release. Was it clearer, Daniel? No. I asked for really, you. I honestly... I, 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 I was blunt. I'm sorry, but it's true. Yeah. Like, I honestly thought that... I'm not an expert in sound design or sound mixing. I thought they have two mixes. One for the cinema mix, one for the home release. They'd remix mm. it just for home release. Because mm. let's be frank here. Most people watch films at home mm. through television speakers. Only a few dedicated people actually go with the effort of buying a sound bar or whatnot. Most people have TV speakers. Mm. I thought, okay, they're going to kind of optimize it for that. Remix the sound for home release. But from my viewing, I didn't notice any considerable or noticeable kind of levels adjusting so I could hear it easier. Like, my family still set off the first... Literally, during that scene of this um, opera house, we were like, can you put subtitles on, please? Like, yes. So yeah. put subtitles on. <laughs> so clearly it wasn't that much better, the point where I didn't need it. I felt like I yeah. still needed them to just be sure what I was, re- what I was hearing is correct. Yeah. But maybe that's just my system. It could have been my system, the way I've optimised it. It might be different if you're listening to another system, you know? Mm. Well, I mean, here's a follow-through. is When I was re-watching films for this, uh, for this podcast, when I was watching Inception, I had to go into my... Sort of TV menu and change the sound settings because the sound effects and the music were so much louder than the dialogue. Mm. And uh, I had to put um, what's it called, like dialogue or speech priority on mm. the setting. I had to turn like the bass down. Um, I had to like adjust all the sound settings to be able to hear it without. Because I found myself turning it up for the mm. dialogue scenes and then really quickly turning it down for the action yeah. scenes and then up again and then down. It's a difficult one. I, I think. The problem, I think, just to round off our talk on Tenet, because I feel like this is one of the big things that I think a lot of people came out of the cinema with, is just, even with the home release stuff aside, it wasn't even mixed right for cinema, and then you haven't got the choice of subtitles. Personally, um, you know, even if a film is mixed right at home, I still put the subtitles on, because I like to just catch every detail. Um, but if it's sort of in cinema, you can't do that, you haven't got that luxury. Um mm. And then it's, I just, I found it quite difficult to follow. And I know the plot is quite complex, but most of these plots are quite complex. I think the sound design just and the complex plot didn't really help 
hand in hand. And I feel that's something you really want to refine. That's like the one Definitely. big thing is like you've got to make sure is like bang on. Because if people can't pick up the key details, then they will not understand the film and therefore probably will not enjoy the film as much as you intend them to. Yeah, exactly. And that's a huge that's thing. Kind of, yeah. It's like watching Aaron Sorkin's film where you can't hear the dialogue. It's kind of a pointless experience. I might as well just sit there and close my eyes because it's, I'm not going to gain anything. I knew you'd find a way to bring Aaron Sorkin into this. How long has it been? How long has it been? 15 minutes? 20 minutes, yeah. 20 minutes. Brilliant. What can I say? I'm a fan. <laughs> um, right, well, I think we've shat on Tenet enough today. Um, I, I maybe, well, where it was due. Yeah. Where, I'm, I'm yeah. sorry, Chris. I'm sorry. If, uh, if, if Nolan, if you're listening, look, I, I think... Unlikely. Unlikely. <laughs> I'll think, be honest. I'll be honest, yeah. Um, Do you not think he just sits right and, now? <laughs> yeah, don't you think he just searches his name into the podcast app or into Spotify and just sees what comes up? Yeah, maybe. Maybe he does. Maybe he does. I would, if I was in his position. Or I'd maybe be making a film. Better than my last one, hopefully. Um, I don't think he has a smartphone, to be honest with you. No, that man strikes me as like a Nokia brick or no phone at all. Spill yeah, your no, beans really now available on Nokia. um yeah so moving on from tenet we've got the other one that we've all already mentioned following it was in my last place and both of you had it at 10 yes i did so following i've not got too much i want to say about following so i'll let you two take the floor with this one um i don't it's 10 in the context it's not a bad film it's it's a great Considering it's his first feature and he hasn't had any formal film education um, and had a very limited budget, I think it's an incredible achievement. But I just think compared to his, his latest, as it should be, compared to mm. his latest stuff, it's not quite as strong. Mm. Yeah. I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you completely there. I watched it last night for the first time and how for a film that's, that's only an hour and nine minutes long, it's good. I can't, I can't fault the man and all the like, people who worked on that film. It's a solid piece of filmmaking. Seeing mm. as, as Alex said, it's his first film. Like that's incredible for his first film. But at the same time, if I compare it to Dark Knight, I'm going to mm. put Dark Knight over it. It's just kind of it's not like a fault. It's due to it's not a fault of the film itself. It's more what it's going up against in a way. Yeah, I, I think with me, I, I kind of agree with that. It's difficult because I want to just make clear as well that like I don't particularly hate any of the films on this list. I feel like it's just when you have to rank them, like mm. most Nolan films are really bloody good. Um, so even doing like a list of 11 from worst to best is quite a difficult one and even this is at my bottom it's only because I don't really care for it as much as I care for all, like, all of the other films like even Tenet I do I do like you know obviously I really don't love it but I sort of got more out of it I feel than I did with following I mean maybe I need to give it a rewatch again I did only watch it for the first time last night um, uh, you know same as, same as you Daniel but I don't know I, I, I did like it and I thought as, you know for a first film it's bloody great but as a stand, like as a film, to compare it to other films, I'm kind of just like, I didn't really care for it. And if I'm thinking of Nolan films, like my mind is never gonna go to following. I don't think. You know what I mean? It's kind of a weird yeah. one. It's tough comparison to make I've... comparing it to other films. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was interesting. It wasn't like you could see, like from the experience of watching it, you could see a lot of Nolan, mm. like his early signs of his later, like the opening later shot, work. like with the, with the opening shots with the close up with the gloves being put on. Mm. Yeah, very kind of memento almost, but then um, then there's like there's swearing in it, and I don't think there's like that much swearing in any other Nolan film. It's bizarre. Yeah, I and got, it's weird. Yeah, 
That was jarring for me too because like all his other films are twelves, apart from Memento, which is fifteen. All the rest mm. are twelves. Like how he's known for like not using foul language. I had a guy saying the f word, effing and jeffing and cussing left, right, and center. I was F-ing like, hold on, this is this feels like F-ing a Quentin Tarantino film now. Sorry, I love that. I love that. Yeah, no, but you're right. I hadn't actually picked up on that to be honest. I mean, obviously, I knew that he's swearing, but I didn't really think anything of it too much. But that's a good point, actually. I didn't really. Yeah, that's an interesting are we um, one. are we allowed to swear on this podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I called tennis. Oh, I mean, he called the main character called someone a cunt like halfway through the film. Yeah. I was like, whoa, yeah, whoa, no man, <laughs> chill, man. <laughs> kiss, kiss, kiss your mother with that mouth. <laughs> no, it's, no it's, yeah, it's a really weird one, but I, I don't know. I the story was interesting. I think I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit of a basic bitch when it comes to Nolan films, like. I have to say, I like my twists. I like my weird shit. I like that sort of stuff. Following was good, but it was just a normal story. And I, it was a good normal story, don't get me wrong. But I was like, yeah, I kind of prefer the ones where they have like, you know, ooh, you didn't expect that, did you? Yeah. And I, mm. That sort of kind of moments. And I know that's quite basic to say, but I don't know. There was just, I, I did I did like it, but I didn't love it. You know what I mean? Especially it's nothing special. It. Yeah, exactly. To me, it kind of felt like a French New Wave film without the bite of the French New Wave, you know? Mm. Uh, it was just sort of... How did it end? <laughs> With the race you find out that the guy is a spoiler. Massive spoiler. Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, at the end, the main character, who harmed, uh, Bill, that's his name, basically <laughs> finds out the whole film, his friend, the one who's definitely in Jeffing, has been setting him up. And that how he basically had a, he find out that at the start of the film he's talking to someone, we don't know who it is. At the end he's talking to a police officer, confessing to all the crimes. He finds out he's been set up, some with the credit card he signed was mm. the guy who basically oh, that, that was the end. I felt like there was like ten or fifteen minutes after that point. And that was the very Almost. end, but you find out where he's been set up all his crimes. Like he took clothes from the woman, he stole something from her, and she now she's been killed by that guy and he's been set up for her murder. That was cool. Like, I was kind of like, wow, that's cool. That's cool. I like yeah. it. That's, that's like brain Nolan esque ending. I liked it. Mm. It was interesting, but I think it just, I just kind of was like, yeah, cool. Yeah, a yeah. better film, but it's it still didn't... a good film. I yeah, watched yeah. it again, but oh yeah, no, definitely. It's not one that I'm like throwing under the bus, but I think when you compare it to some of his other work, obviously, I mean, it is it is his first film. It's a very mm. really good first film, but it's just not one that I care for. I don't think as much as some of the others on this list, which I could talk for days about so passionately. Yeah, this and we one, will try, and we we, <laughs> we certainly will. Um, Twelve-hour podcast, let's go. <laughs> but um, but yeah, in terms of following, I, I don't know. Is there anything else that wants to be said about it? Because I've the, not really. The got score was good. Else. Yeah, I quite like the score for for a first film with such a low budget. It was a damn good score. I think the budget for the score was like six pounds, apparently. That's mad. <laughs> and now it's just to buy the magnetic tape which is recorded on. Wow! <laughs> oh my god. That is cool. That is actually pretty sick. I actually quite like that. When are we getting a limited edition vinyl release? Come on. Yeah. It's very rare that you could physically buy the soundtrack of a film and spend more money than it costs to actually make the soundtrack. <laughs> that's quite. That's yeah. quite scary, isn't it? Um, but yeah. So yeah, our uh, ninth place. What? Um, that was seamless. We're going to continue with it though. It doesn't matter. No, one, no one's going to know. Um, I'll start off with my ninth place, which is. Okay. Batman Begins. Ooh. Daniel. Might be quite controversial, but I'm going to say 2000's Memento. <laughs> uh, mm, I'm okay. going to say number nine, 
The Dark Knight Rises. Interesting. Okay. Mm. Um, because obviously none of us matched there. It's like Tinder. Um, we're going to number, <laughs> we're gonna be going to number Speak eight. Speak for yourself, mate. Speak for yourself. <laughs> um, we're going to be going to number eight. Daniel, what is your number eight place? Interstellar. 2014. Wow, okay. Uh, Alex. Yeah, the silence there. <laughs> wow. Uh, Alex, what's your number eight, man? Unbelievably, Interstellar. Okay, you're both yeah. wrong. But uh, my, my number eight um, is Insomnia. Right, so none of us have... Right, so, so we've got... Right, just to sort of clarify there. You should so, keep a list of this. Hang on, yeah. I know, I'm trying to make a note. Just <laughs> keep in mind. So you've both mentioned Interstellar. Yes. Um, I've done You said Memento. You've, um, done, you've done Insomnia. Yeah, I've done Insomnia and Batman Begins. So we'll just move on to number seven. Hmm. Mine is The Dark Knight Rises. Well, mine's The Dark Knight Rises too. For number seven? Yeah. I think so, yeah. Is... What do you mean you think so? Well, have I done Batman Begins yet? I can't use Batman Begins first. Come on, this no order is getting out of order here. Batman Begins 2005, sorry, comes first. First? Well, before, I mean, before. <laughs> sorry, I'm so lost. Right, hang on, Daniel, what is your, what is your number seven? <laughs> oh, let me count backwards real quick. That's 11. And then, minus 10. That was no 9. Anyone that listening to this is completely yeah. Number seven, right. number seven, number seven, number seven is Batman Begins 2005. Right. Thank you very much, Alex. What's your number seven? Uh, number seven is Batman Begins. Ah, right, we can talk about Batman Begins. Thank God, yeah, we're, yeah, not yeah. Lost, we're not lost. We're not lost. Thank God. Right, Batman Begins. So Batman is Begins. better than The Dark Knight Rises. Mm. And George, you're wrong about that. If you I think don't know. Otherwise. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like Batman Begins, I think it's all right. But I think hmm. it's the it's the starting point of that trilogy, and I just feel like, for all the flaws that the Dark Knight Rises has, and trust me, it has flaws, obviously, but I just I can't help but feel that that like, that and the Dark Knight are sort of a level above Batman Begins for me. I feel like the style of Batman Begins feels it's almost like there was an upgrade somewhere in there that they jumped <laughs> from Batman Begins to Dark Knight, and although Dark Knight Rises was a bit of a downstep from the Dark Knight. I still feel like they're sort of in a category above. To, to, their credit, to their credit, it did help that um, uh, from the Dark Knight onwards, he could turn his head. That was like a big, uh, <laughs> like a big step up for him. Yeah, and I think I like upgrades, I like, people. Upgrades. I'm, I'm, I'm a big Batman fan. Anyway, I love the source <laughs> material, and I've always had some in, like, sort of interesting thoughts about how Nolan did his interpretation. It's definitely some of the best out there, but some of the least comic accurate. Um, <clears throat> And I both love and slightly dislike that. And I feel like, you know, when we will talk about the Dark Knight in time to come, hopefully later on in this podcast, <laughs> depending on your opinions. Um, but Heath Ledger's brilliant in that. I feel like in Batman Begins, like Liam Neeson as Ra's al Ghul and um, Killing Murphy's Scarecrow. I mean, like they're good, but it's just kind of, it didn't really drag me in as much as I was really hoping. And I do like the film. I do think, again, like, with Nolan films, a lot of them are still good, like, really solid. And this is no exception from that, but I, I think that out of the three, this is just the one that lets me down the most in terms of... And I like the idea that, obviously, like, Rachel Gould's supposed to be, like, a mentor figure and all that sort of thing, and that's an interesting development, but it's an, also something that's been done before, and I just... I don't know. It's not really... Out, out of the three, for me, it's undeniable that this is the sort of weakest, I think. 
Uh, yeah, I'm fine to sit here and listen to you uh, <laughs> talk smack about about Liam Neeson because as much as I love the man, he's not. I mean, he's got some moments, but he's not fantastic in this film. Mm. But I will not listen to this Killian Murphy slander. No, I don't think that. I don't think <laughs> Killian Murphy's bad. I think like what they do with the scarecrow is interesting, but I just I can't help but feel like I wish they'd done more or one or the other. It feels very, it feels very disjointed that him and Rashad Gould would work together. The, yeah. the whole thing about that, especially in terms of looking at like source material, and I try not to with these films because, hmm. like that, just it's, it's very messy when you get into that. But I think like the scarecrow's motives and like his sort of persona and his sort of things that he does as a character, you know, the sort of fear toxin and all that sort of stuff, is a totally different feel to Rush Al Ghul and the sort of the mentor figure, this sort of like ninja warrior if you want to call him that <laughs> like i i kind of feel like the two things there just contrast slightly too much for my liking i think the way they did uh joker and two-face in the dark knight work really well hand in hand like that really like gels very nicely in this i don't i don't agree i, I feel like this is and i think that as well there's sort of a grungy style to it compared to the other two and i think the other two managed to encapsulate the the feeling of gotham as like a, a crime-ridden city um, and also, I, I guess it, I think it gives the trilogy like the sort of the general aesthetic and sort of type of cinematography that I imagine when I think of this trilogy. This feels a lot more grungy, and it's almost like some things haven't been quite worked out yet. I, 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 I mean, that's just that's just me, though. No, I mean I'll agree about um, Scarecrow as a character. I mean, some of the things in this film relating to his character are appalling. The bit at the end where he's uh, spoilers, where he's on the horse. Yeah. And the horse. <laughs> and they just, what do they do? They just they just shoot him. Is that right? And he just like screams and runs off. <laughs> like what is that? But um, generally, I, I really like. I mean, I, I maybe a bit biased. I really like Killian Murphy as an actor. I think he's fantastic, and I really like. Mm. Oh, I'd agree. Scare yeah. I really like Scarecrow as a Batman villain too. I think he's mm. really cool. He's literally like the exact thing that Batman. Like the whole point of this film is fear and conquering your mm. fear. I think he's the perfect villain. I actually think they should have uh, just got rid of Ra's al Ghul after the beginning. Mm. Uh, they should have just left Liam Neeson up in the mountains <laughs> to die. Yeah, and, but I, uh, I, I think that's where this film sort of deviates from the comic stuff, though. I feel like if this was a bit more comic booky, they would have been able to just have Ra's al Ghul in the beginning and then not have any relevance to the rest of the film. But because it's a mm. Nolan film, because it's all very self-contained... Um, like is it Chekhov's gun that sort of thing is like yeah. everything that's shown has to be relevant so yeah. with Rush Uncle being in it at the beginning he has to be at the end he has to sort of be that antagonist figure but I don't know Daniel what do you think because you've, you've been quite quiet about this I'm, I'm curious I've only seen this film once but I have mm. seen The Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises twice twice mm. so I've only seen one once but as long as a couple of years ago I think mm. but I admit that I am a big fan of an origin story. I think that obviously it's contextualised because Marvel have done it to death now. Every single film has to have an origin story for each character. Whereas mm. this is 2005, it's the first of its type to have an origin story. This is when they're brand new, like kind of still relatively in their infancy. Um, I think it's really interesting to see that obviously it's been overdone now in terms of Batman. We know his parents have died. There's only a certain amount of times they can die. But, but at a time though, they've got to contextualise these things. It's really interesting to see his origins. I think Nolan is a very sensitive director of those sort of things. Like, you wouldn't always think it. Sometimes he's seen as this cold, calculated director in a similar vein to Kubrick. But I think that he, there are times where he can be quite a sensitive who, director who does care about his characters. I think that this film, there are moments where he really, you can tell that. So I think, personally, 
it's a great achievement as a film. In fact, they revived the Batman films after like, nine years. After, since 1997, as Batman and Robin, Joel Schumacher's George Clooney, the best Batman film ever. Film. How this film, this film had to bring the series back after eight, um, after seven years, which is no mean feat. No. Eight years, sorry. Which is no mean feat. I appreciate how he had the boldness to do what he did after that. But I, I think my, my, my thing with this is that as much as I do love this film, to do something different and better than Batman and Robin was not a difficult job. Like, you could have done anything and it would have been well-received because it would have been like, well, <laughs> at least it didn't have, you know, Arnie shouting some rubbish bollocks about the Ice Age or something, you know. What killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age! I was, I was waiting for the impressions, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it just, just... But I think, yeah, the Batman franchise, like, at that point, had been so watered down and, like, made so cheesy and they needed a bit of a reboot. And Nolan did a good job with that, but there's... I, I don't know, there's just something about it, and I think when it comes to comic book films as well, I think they are brilliant films. Um, and I know we'll say more about this when we talk about Dark Knight Rises and The Dark Knight. But I think just individually, and especially in the context of an origin story, yeah, it was sort of one of the first, if you're looking in terms of Marvel, but like, even still, I think it, it just, I don't know, I, th I feel like it did capitalise quite a lot on the origin story of Bruce Wayne, which... I, even at this point, I think we've seen before, like uh, quite a few times. I don't think anyone was going into Batman Begins and going, "God, I wonder why he's Batman." Like, I wonder why he does. I wonder why he does that. I wonder why he lives alone in a house with his butler. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't think at that point anyone was, you know, doing that. I think it's like, but yeah, no, I I agree with what you mean in a lot of senses. Like, it does have a lot of merit, and I don't want to shit on this film too much because I do actually quite enjoy it. But I think out of the three. I, I I can't say this is better than Dark Knight Rises. Oh. I, I I agree as well. I think it's because you're right, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> what can Look. I say? It's hard when you're right. Look, I don't need this. Oh, I'll be interested to see what we say about Dark Knight Rises when we come to it. Um, I mean, but... while we're talking about Batman, can I just? Mm. Uh, I don't like Christian Bale in these films. Yeah, I don't. I don't know not, not. Oh, I don't think he's likable. I don't think he was. I don't think he's very good as either Bruce Wayne or Batman. Not and nothing on him because I've seen him. In, he's in some amazing films, doing some amazing he's, performances. We know what Christian Bale's like. He's not actually going to kick the shit out of you. Don't worry. No, I'm terrified. I'm terrified. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he is good. I don't want to. I don't want to sit here slagging people off because he's no, good, no, no, no. But... He is. He is good, but I, do, I, I agree. He's not. He's probably one of my least favorite interpretations of Batman and Bruce Wayne, and the least interesting as well. It's very just. Mm. Oh yeah, he's a playboy, and then oh yeah, he's got like a deep voice, and everyone, <laughs> everyone's joked with the voice. Like it is, it isn't a great voice. Is it like, well, especially not in the Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, and we've got our very. It, native... it gets worse throughout the trilogy. Yeah, we've got our native John Coleshaw here, who I'm sure will do an impression. <laughs> Daniel, that's you, mate. Who's John Coleshaw? He's an impressionist. I'm just kidding. Oh. clearly. I mean, <laughs> never mind. Then. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, that went right over my head. Yeah, well, we'll come back to that. Um, but yeah, no, Batman Begins. I don't know. If, I think yeah, Chris. Again, there's, I think there's so much we can say about the the series as a whole with the the other two films on this list. But Batman Begins. I think it's interesting. I'm I'm looking forward to talking about Dark Knight Rises now to see what you have to say about that, Alex. Because yeah. I do feel it has more merit than this. 
Okay. okay. And on that note, okay. um, can I just quickly add one thing quickly? Yeah, of course. So I really commend Christopher Nolan for this in casting for this film by surrounding, like, like this populating the ensemble cast such fantastic actors. I got mm. a list here. Twice Oscar winner, double Oscar winner, Michael Caine, Oscar winner Morgan Freeman, Oscar winner Gary Oldman, Oscar nominated actor Liam Neeson, uh, Ken Watanabe, Killian Murphy, Tom Wilkinson. I think he did a really great job of populating like, the characters around Bruce Wayne with such fantastic character actors. You really bring a warmth. I think that one of my favourite Christopher Nolan characters is um, Michael Caine's characters. I think they're really great characters, Alfred. And Morgan Freeman is Lucius. I think it's really... They they bring a lot of warmth to the character, and like they act like the moral compass to Bruce Wayne's character. It's a really great kind of foil to Bruce Wayne. Mm. Just want to add that. Also, well, the I mean, score by, sorry, please. Continue. I was just going to say clearly Chris Nolan likes them as well because they're in every single yeah. one. Of I mean, I've I've been watching Chris <laughs> Nolan films nonstop for the last two days, and uh, I'm, I love them all. I love Michael Caine especially, but I'm so sick of seeing their faces. I I was honestly <laughs> shocked because I hadn't I hadn't until last night uh, I watched following. Uh, mental and I watched Insomnia today. I was actually surprised that I didn't see Michael Caine. That the fact that yeah. that's having an impact. I'm like, wait, what? He's not. You're telling me he's not in this film. Where's I was Michael like, Caine? yeah. I. It's really yeah. weird, but yeah, no. Uh, great point about the cast actually, and the cast sort of follows through mostly through uh, the other films as well. I think Killian Murphy even appears in Dark Knight Rises. I think. Correct mm. me if I'm wrong. And Dark Knight. He appears at the start of Dark Knight. Oh, he and does. Then he appears in yes. Cameo in Dark Knight Rises. Yes. Dark Knight Rises. He's doing the um, the court scene. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's like, death or exile? Uh, we choose death. Death by exile. It's so good. That's a great bit of that film. I like that bit. Um, oh, I love yeah, it. Yeah, no, I, I, I'd agree. Is there anything else we want to say about Batman Begins? Because I think I'm all really done with Batman Begins. I don't know if there's anything else I really want to say about it because I feel like we can cover more of that in the other films. Yeah. Yeah? Sounds I'm good. i have to move on. What is everyone's number six? We'll, go, we'll start with Alex. Oh, don't start with me. Number six is Inception. What? Okay. Yeah. Daniel, what's your number six? I'm just going to leave the call. I'm going to say goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, my six is The Dark Knight Rises, 2012. Okay. Uh, My number six is... I'm going to get shot for this. My number six is Dunkirk. Um... I think uh, I think moving on from that, we've all said The Dark Knight Rises. We've all said The Dark Knight Rises. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Yeah, so Dark Knight Rises. Alex, I'll let you start, since you despise this film so much, apparently. I don't despise The Dark Knight Rises. I just don't think it's very good. Um, it, I don't know. It is good. But it, it it's... Uh, I watched it this morning. Uh, it was one of the last ones I had to rewatch because I mm. kind of put it off. I don't really like mm. it. I mean, I can't really put my finger on exactly what it is. I don't like about this film um it's it's not that it's bad i just think it's the worst of the three it's kind of a disappointing ending there's some cool stuff it sets up a really cool sequel that never happened with uh uh joseph gordon levitt playing batman that would have been cool i want to watch that i um, i don't know it just doesn't tom hardy's great Tom Hardy yeah, is Tom Hardy's, Tom Hardy's brilliant. i don't want to like slash on your opinions but i think it's an interesting discussion I, I am on the opposite side of most of the things you said there. Yeah, I, feel, go for it. I feel like the idea of like a, a sequel with Jason Gordon Levitt <laughs> playing Batman would have been and um excuse my French, fucking terrible. Um and I feel like the ending was actually pretty good. 
What do you mean the ending? I like the ending of the film. Oh, I thought you said you didn't like the ending. My bad. Did I? No, I like the ending. Okay. Um, I, I might have, I might have heard like that like the stuff before the ending. I mean, the best parts of the film were definitely like Bane's one-liners. Uh, my favourite part is when he just goes, what a lovely, lovely voice. It's great. I love that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's so good. Um, now, no time of fear, Doctor. That comes later. There's some great quotes. It's the most quotable film. My favourite quote is definitely um, when Catwoman is surrounded on the roof and she shouts, back off, I'm not bluffing. And then Batman just appears out of nowhere. He's like, they know. They just don't care. That's a great bit. I, I'm here for that. I talked to you about that. It's a great quote. I, I don't know. I think, um, I think a lot... People do have a lot of problem with the ending, though. A lot of people will I, sort of would argue would argue that it's it sort of ruins it a little bit. Um, do, well, I mean, this is an interesting one. How did this film end? Did Bruce Wayne die? Mm, no, Daniel. If it was just, what do you, what do you oh, think? So on. I'm gonna I'm gonna go around. Do you think Bruce Wayne died? I, I, I think that's an interesting interpretation. But I, I personally read it as quite literal that he did survive and Alfred did see him in Florence. However, I can see why you might think that's kind of like uh, Alfred in his head seeing that rather than literal. But I personally see it as a literal thing. He did yeah. survive. I think that must have been the intention. Well, the thing is, the thing that does it for me, if it was just the end bit with Alfred in Florence, I would have been like, mm. it is in Florence, right? <clears throat> I would yeah. have, have thought, okay. Yeah, it might be a hallucination, it might not be. It's a very ambiguous ending. But the fact that they had that and the bit with um, Lucius uh, Lucius Fox, yeah. um, when he says, oh, the autopilot was installed six months ago or whatever, then like, the fact that the, both of those things happened, mm. what, are they both hallucinating? Are they both... <laughs> unless, unless, I suppose you could argue that the idea that he had the autopilot installed but still chose to sacrifice himself was the point of that. That would be ridiculous to me. I don't know why anyone would do that. <laughs> but yes, I, I don't know. I did take the time to fix the autopilot in this last like five minutes of my life, but I'm not going to use it. I mean, like I don't know. Yeah. I kind of. I yeah. I think it is literal. I think there's a lot of interesting debate around it, but I don't really understand how it could be taken any other way. And I feel that's also yeah, fitting. I'd... It's also a fitting way to round it off. Everyone was expecting him to die. Here's a here's an interesting thing I just realised. At the end of the film, it sets up the fact that Joseph Gordon-Levitt's going to be the next Batman, and he's working in the Batcave, well, which is still though. underneath. Yes, of course it does. Which it... is still underneath but Wayne Manor. But he's called Robin. But Wayne Manor's now. Yeah, I know he's called Robin, but he's his name is Robin, and he's going to be Batman. He's, but he's called Robin. <laughs> yeah, all right, but but when source material here, source material. I'm pretty yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. When Batman dies, Robin takes over as Batman. Mm. In, in at least one of the comics. I, yeah, probably at some point, yeah. Uh, but my, my, my point is, he's going to be doing that from the Batcave underneath Wayne Manor. And mm. Wayne Manor is now not Wayne Manor. It's now the Thomas and Martha Wayne home for orphans, right? Yeah. I don't know why I laughed at that, yeah. <laughs> orphans. So underneath <laughs> this, like, you have all these orphans running around. And underneath, you're just going to have... Like strange noises, they're gonna think it's haunted. Is my point? They're gonna think yeah, there's yeah, some yeah. like ghosts living in the grounds. One of those kids is gonna find their way down. Joseph Gordon-Levitt will probably say, "Hey, do you want to be Robin?" It would have been a cool film. I'd have watched it. Yeah, I mean, it would have been very like I couldn't imagine Chris Nolan doing it though. Could you imagine like? No, 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 no. I would want it would someone have been like yeah. I'd want like I don't know that 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 is the sort of style where it'd be like that's that's like a Joel Schumacher or. 
Tim Burton. Yeah. Like get get some cheese back into the franchise. As if like yeah, a, a young a young it. kid is like a really shitty Robin, just going around it as like this really tacky Batman suit because he hasn't got any help and he's just got like a normal car. He's still got like a Gotham Police Department badge on the arm of the Batman yeah. suit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that'll be quite good. But yeah, no, uh, the Dark Knight Rises. I think yeah, I think Tom Hardy's brilliant as Bane. Even mm. though I don't really like the interpretation of Bane, I wish they'd just done another villain who was more like what they did in this film. Because there's so many Batman villains, you could have done literally like anyone other than Bane. Like Bane's a really odd one. And I know why they did it, because they had to have this mysterious character who happened to be like, have a sort of um, foreign home so they could connect him back to the League of Shadows and do all that sort of sure. stuff and have like Talia al Ghul and all that sort of thing. But where is he from? Because listen to his accent. Yes. It's I ambiguous. Mean, he's <laughs> It's not ambiguous. I would have also it sounds like a British man doing like a New Orleans actor. It's very strange. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen as well, because there's also like concept art and ideas and all that sort of thing. I would love to have seen the mask actually come off. That could have been some really like horrifying mm. imagery if they'd done that properly, but again, he's just blank, he's got no mouth, no nose, no, he's just a like a blank under the eyes. But someone like edited it where it was like had loads of like pins in, like pulling back the skin and it was like no nose mm. or whatever. That would have been like some really horrifying imagery that they really could have capitalized on. But no, no, they didn't do that. And I don't like I don't hate it, but I feel like if you want to have a villain who's gonna like take the whole city hostage and be huh. this sort of uh you know, like just sort of very grandiose kind of villain i don't look at the comics and go oh what about this big guy who's like thick and just hits things and is a big brute like i mean that's not this is the other thing is that's not where i would have gone with this because it just seems mm. a bit too over the top like it's very sort of it's like a tim burton plot but made by chris <laughs> like, oh he he shuts off the whole city like makes it into an island and then he I quite like takes that. Takes a whole city hostage, like. But I, I, I don't. I know when you say it like that, it does sound a bit shit. But I, I actually <laughs> quite like it in the film the way they do it. I think you, you do have to raise the stakes a little bit. And I, like the Dark Knight was an excellent film, and we'll get onto that. But I think, like, it is a personal story for sort of Bruce Wayne, and I quite hmm. like that this film does. It does feel at the end of the trilogy. It does. It lifts it up, and it. It does raise the stakes. This is like but he, but this he has got one... to be this has got to be like Batman's last outing. He either dies or he hides away after. Like he's got to. This is his last one, and it's the last one in the trilogy. It's got to do something grandiose. And yes, it is a bit cheesy, but I think the way that it was like shown. Again, I think it takes talent from someone like Chris Nolan to do something like that. But alternatively, also he is the one who came up with the story idea, so. Hmm. he's just sort of like shitting on the floor and cleaning it up basically you know <laughs> I, I mean I think if they spent more time in Gotham while mm. it was captive like this kind of uh, tribalism and this sort of mm. uh, pseudo political like th this court of justice mm. that's sort of ruled over by Edward Crane like <laughs> I think there is some, re some really cool ideas that I would have loved to have spent more time with like the citizens of Gotham because it never felt very connected to them to me, mm. to the systems, it always felt too too big well, to I mean, feel. There's a there's obviously the idea as well, of course, that if um, that presumably the original idea would have had Heath Ledger in a bigger role um, mm. uh, to like to actually contribute to the the film and the universe and really bring it together. Obviously, that wasn't possible. Um, which I don't know if that affects anything. Whether the the story was in place 
but has more of a heavy hand with the Joker because it does seem a bit like a Joker scheme in a way, doesn't it? Mm. Like holding the whole city hostage. Again, it just, I, I can't just get, I just can't get over that it's Bane. You know what I mean? Because it's all about the chaos, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, they could have had, like, I mean, I don't want to say it, but like even the Riddler, they could have made work. Or like mm. Hugo Strange. There's some interesting, like, Batman villains, even obscure ones, that could have really made this work. But, you know, I like what they did, given the fact that it was Bane. It was a very good interpretation of Bane, a very different interpretation of Bane. Mm. Nowhere near the comics, but, a, like, decent enough where it's like, okay, no, I quite like that. I, I read somewhere that the Riddler was in the Nolan trilogy, apparently. You know the He's guy, in the Dark Knight. In the Dark Knight, the guy who tries to expose his, um, expose Bruce Wayne as Batman. But have, and he gives, like, the Batman bill pass. Apparently his name is, like, Mr... Reese or something and it sounds like mysteries just like Edward Nigma Enigma sounds like Enigma and that's supposed to be like the Riddler according to according to some people Mr. Mr. Reese mysteries right Mr. Reese is just mysteries right yeah I mean <laughs> sure it's a stretch but sure I'll take it um I think if I had to I, I've been sitting here and sort of mulling it over if I had to sum up why I don't like the Dark Knight Rises so much it's the, exactly the reason I was sort of saying earlier when I was quoting it, mm. like and like every fifth line is like quotable. It's kind of a movie. Mm. I sit through it waiting for quotes. I'm like, oh, now is not the time for fear. Fantastic! It would be incredibly <laughs> painful for you. And I'm the guy like, oh, waiting yeah, for these quotes. If that's how, <laughs> <laughs> if that's how you watch it, in the same way that I watch like the Star Wars prequels, then I can understand why you have a little bit of distaste for it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because I think any film that you watch in that context, you can't put too highly on a ranking list. But yeah, I, I think, um, I think yeah, maybe, I think it is just personal preference. And to be honest, I, I, I think I just see more, I quite like the way they ended it because especially after The Dark Knight, they had a hard task. It was never going to be up to scratch to that film. But I feel like it wasn't too much of a step down. I feel like it was a step down, obviously, but not mm. too much where it was like, okay, that's still a fitting end to the trilogy. And it's still thematically consistent across the three films. Um, I agree. And if I had to come out again, like an alternative angle, you finished there, but I actually quite like Bane. Like how mm. I, I, I've seen him in the animated series and I haven't really seen much more about him than that. But I personally, I think it's quite interesting because in the first film you've got, obviously got Scarecrow and Razagul who aren't really physical matches for Batman. And in Joker, the whole point is he could beat Joker up and kill him, but that's not going to stop his anarchy. Mm. Whereas Bane's quite interesting, because like the first villain where he physically can't beat him because he's physically more stronger than he is. Yeah, that's and a good that point. Great scene, and there's a great scene in the kind of the sewers where Batman's actually trying everything he can to fight him, but he physically can't do it. And it's quite a nice kind of change for one, so he can't actually just beat the villain up and pump answers out of him. He has to try and actually try and grow his, his strength. It's quite an interesting angle. Mm. Yeah, and Bane says, I wondered what would break first, your spirit or your body? And then he breaks his back. I'm just, I watch it waiting for the quotes. You're yeah. right, I watch it on yeah. like prequels. That's yeah. ruined it for me. Yeah. What a shame. <laughs> and also, like, uh, I think that because of that, that whole breaking the back thing segues nicely because I feel like in some Marvel films, like a single Marvel here, but also DC is also victim to this, mm. some characters can get thrown around and still be like, oh, it's fine, it's just a bruise, or it's just a, it's just a flesh wound, <laughs> it's hardly any serious injuries. Like people can be like, Iron Man, he bashed around, we find next film, it's kind of like, oh, okay, 
he's in the same film, a character can get injured, and be fine by the end of the film. But it's quite nice that in this in this kind of world where injury does matter, his back is broken, and then he has to spend the next quarter of the film learning how to overcome that injury. Yeah. I think that's quite a nice to finally see that. Yeah, you no, I... see I, him I, overcome the physical pain. For, I, mean, I agree. Firstly, Iron Man was a bad example. He wasn't fine after Endgame. Secondly, <laughs> that, was, that was the worst <laughs> bit of the film. <laughs> That was the worst bit of the film. The bit with him in the prison in the pit. Yeah, I, 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 I'd agree. That's always the most boring bit. But I do like the fact that... And I, Daniel raises a very good point, actually, that it is interesting. Mm. Not only that he's outmatched in terms of, um, like, size and, and fighting ability and all that sort of thing. Like, he physically could not take down Bane. But that he's actually suffering from that. And that suffering and that sort of, like, healing from that injury is a huge impactful plot point of this film. I think Daniel makes a really good point with that. And <laughs> and I, I do agree with the sort of Marvel stuff. I'm I'm rewatching the MCU at the minute, and you are right with a lot of cases that, and it's the same with the DCU, and it's the same with a lot of superhero films that someone could get like pummeled and be fine a minute later. Whereas in this film, it takes most of the film for Bruce Wayne to get back on his feet and climb out of that pit. And I think that is a, an interesting story point. But I sort of. I, I almost, in, in the same way that Alex was saying there, that is the, probably the weakest part of the film for me, like the, the stuck in the cave stuff. And I would have rather sacrificed reality in a film where someone takes an entire island hostage than like, uh, than having this realism thing where he's like, oh, well, he's, he's broken. He has to work himself back. I do like that. But I think because again, it's like, I don't want to just explain it away by going, oh, well, yeah, but like, given what the story was, he's done a good job of interpreting it, but it's his story. And I feel like he could have just had yeah. a better idea from the get-go than a lot of elements in this film. And I think that's where this film sort of like sort of falls apart a little bit, is that The Dark Knight is so almost perfect in terms of Batman, superhero, or crime film, whatever you want to call it. It's very well put together. This is... It's, it's, it's got cracks at the seams, and you can kind of, yeah, you can kind of see it. I was going to say that I have quite a different opinion. I think that the scene where like, set in the, the Lazarus pit, I actually re-engage. I personally find that Tom Conti is marvellous. I just want to single him out for praise because I love that man a lot. Like Alex and I watched him in Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, a great film which everyone should check out. But Tom Conti in this film, like, it's really a small role, but he does a lot with it. And he really brings this kind of wisdom to it, and maturity to the part. I, I quite like that. I didn't, I didn't but, say I don't like Tom Conti. I said I don't like Bruce Wayne sat in a hole underground for like 30 minutes, <laughs> which really, it got to me. It was so dull. Yeah. I think the bit where he climbs out of the pit, though, is actually probably one of my favourite moments of the whole trilogy. Like a really stirring moment. Because in the first Batman Begins, you see he's fall down, he falls down the well as a child, and his father has to take him out. Whereas in his third <sighs> film, it's a cinematic parallel. I know. He has to climb out himself. I know, but that's... And of, and of course, Nolan can't let you forget that. That's... He puts in an insert shot from the first film of yeah, Thomas Wayne like... coming down on the rope. It's too heavy-handed. It's too I heavy-handed. Just, I, it's, it's very... Um... And, you know, don't attack me for this, listeners, but it's very Snyder, and that's not a compliment. <laughs> it's like, it's, Have you it's, seen it's, Army of the Dead? No. <laughs> Go watch Army of the Dead. It's, it's good fun. Is it? <laughs> I don't know. There's a zombie, <laughs> there's a zombie tiger. Yeah, I, a zombie I, tiger. I, I, I've seen. Um, I thought it was quite fun. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure I'll eventually watch that but yeah no I, I know what you mean I, I do think that was a bit heavy handed though I, I, I agree with that but yeah no, The, the Dark Knight Rise I, I still think is a good film and to be honest I stand by that it's better than Batman Begins <laughs> if you disagree I, you're not, wrong yeah. 
Oh, well, I guess I'm it's wrong, It's definitely... Then. It's definitely not as Warfighter as Dark Knight, because it definitely feels contrived and far-fetched, mm. especially in the third act of Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. But I think overall, though, it's a really fun, enjoyable fire cha- final chapter yeah. trilogy, which provides, like, a stellar ending. Like, it's nothing out of, this war- out of the world, but it's still solid entertainment. I can sit down and have a really just good time yeah. watching that film. That's a good point. That's a good note. There's much to love. It's a very, very good note to end that on for our first little break of this podcast. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the rest of the Nolan films. Uh, we've still got our top five to go, I believe, uh, each. And there's obviously some films that have already been mentioned by a few of us and not by others that we haven't even talked about in detail yet. But I'm sure we'll find a couple to skim over <laughs> before this becomes a 10-hour podcast. Um, but... No one's complaining. <laughs> I'm sure they will. And uh, <laughs> thanks for listening so far and we'll see you after the break. Welcome back from the break. We're continuing talking about Christopher Nolan films. We have already... T- I'm not going to list what we've already talked about. I just realised it's a bad idea because I will definitely mess it up. But we are on to the top five of our individual lists. Um, Daniel, I'm going to ask you to kick it off. What is your fifth place entry? In number five is 2017's Dunkirk. Okay, interesting. Alex. Uh, <clears throat> Insomnia. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, we, Daniel, have you, you haven't mentioned Insomnia yet, have you? I haven't yet. Okay. And you've not mentioned Dunkirk, Alex? I have not. Okay, right. So, number four. Alex, would you like to kick off your number four? You didn't tell us what your number five was. Did I not? Oh, I didn't. That's right. <laughs> thank you for thank you for correcting me. <laughs> um, my number five is Memento. Mm. Has Memento been mentioned now? or is that Daniel I mentioned it. it. Um, you haven't you haven't said it yet, right? Okay, Alex, what's your number four? Uh, my number four is the Dark Knight. The Dark Knight, okay. Mm. Yes. Okay. The, um, uh, the Batman film. You, yeah. Are you uh, aware of it? I'm familiar. That with silence it. is shock. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, a little bit baffled. My number four is the Prestige. Daniel, well, my number four is Insomnia. Okay, so we've all mentioned, we've mentioned Insomnia. It. Right, so let's hey. talk about Insomnia. Um, Bingo. All, all in very different places in our list, I believe. Yeah. Mine was mine was number eight. Daniel's was number four. Where did Insomnia come for you, Alex? Number Somewhere? four. Number five. Number five. Pretty good. So Insomnia. What do we all think about Insomnia? I've just I've literally just watched this one before this recording, so this is fresh in my mind. It's a it's a David Fincher film, isn't it? <laughs> let's be honest. It's a David Fincher film. Yeah, I mean, I. I this is the least Nolan feeling Nolan film. I feel it's mm. not, but is that not because it's adapted though as well? I suppose it's a because so. it's because it's adapted from a, is it like a Norwegian film? Yeah. It's a remake of a nineteen ninety seven film with the same name, Norwegian. Brilliant. All right, Wikipedia, pipe down. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I I did actually find a lot that I quite liked in this, even though it's my number eight. It's not terrible. I, it's an interesting story, but it's it's like I like I quite like when Nolan can sort of because Nolan's original stories are quite exciting and and different and out there, and I feel because this is a remake, not a criticism, it's still a good film, but because it's a remake, it doesn't really feel in line with the other Nolan films, and it's quite hard to compare. I feel when you're looking at whole director's filmography. Yeah, 
very restrained and with and yeah, held back. Yeah. I feel it reminds me of Jackie Brown by Tarantino, and that was an adaptation of an Elmer Leonard novel. It was very restrained. His style didn't let it become mm. overwhelming and take over from the material he was adapting in the first place. Yeah, I think it was. I don't think it was a bad film though. Hmm. He loves drowning, doesn't he, Nolan? <laughs> People yeah. drown in lots of his films, or they yeah. nearly drown in lots of his films. Spoilers. Yeah. I thought um, I thought Robin Williams' performance in this was really good. Actually, that's amazing, one thing. That's it? one thing I came out of this film with, like, holy shit, he was good. Very Al Pacino was, very was quite fun. Mm. Like, because uh, a lot of this film was Al Pacino just going, "I'm tired," and that was kind of it. <laughs> yeah, <But> it was, <laughs> in the best way possible. Yeah. Um, that was a great chemistry between Ron Williams, his kind of very understated performance, and Al Pacino. I'm not going to call over the top, that's not fair, but a very, very much a larger character, I feel. I, can't, I feel like you can't say a large character without suggesting he overplays it or hammy. Al Pacino is very unique in that he can play things quite large, but at the same mm. time, keep it under control. Yeah. It's quite interesting par- contrast between the two. I, I like them a lot. There's a great sense of kind of the mystery between them, the relationship. Yeah. Mm. I don't like. Yeah, I think it's it's a really interesting one because it's not one that's not it's not a, it's not a bad film by any means, but I don't know if it's got particularly too much merit. It does feel quite a, like it is quite a forgettable film. I find it's a good film in its own genre and its own way. The performances are pretty good. The story's pretty compelling. It's shot bloody well, but like, I, it's just out of the Nolan films. I feel like it is one of like one of if not the most forgettable because it's the least unique. It's the kind of film you've seen like before many times mm. and it's pretty I was telling good. you in the break that when I was watching it I realised I'd seen it before and mm. hadn't, hadn't known yeah. which kind of sums which, up what you're saying it says a lot yeah but I was a child mm. you are a child when you watched this yeah I used to just watch films with my mum incredible uh, yeah this was one of those there's a great film called Frozen not the Pixar film <laughs> right it's about a group of uh, skiers <laughs> who get stuck in the <laughs> <laughs> Or it's Disney, isn't it? It's not. It's not Pixar. It's Disney. Yeah. Or is it Pixar? It's Disney. No, it's not Pixar. It's Disney. No. But uh, not that one. No, it's about this group of skiers who get stuck on a chairlift over a, a bank holiday weekend or something. And um, oh. it's uh, that's great. I watched that when I was a kid. Jesus. Go watch that. It's good. Christ, <laughs> it doesn't sound fun. Oh, it's really. It's great. It's so good. Right. Okay. Well, I'll <laughs> I'll make note of that. I think. Um, I don't know though. I think. I don't know what like you can say against Insomnia though, other than that it's just kind of generic and kind of boring. I don't think there's too much you can say about it, and I don't want to dwell on this too much if there's not much to say, only because we've got yeah. so many films to get through. I feel like it's one of those ones that it's good in lots of places. It's there's nothing really you can say against it. It's just kind of forgettable and doesn't feel like a Nolan film. So when ranking them against these other films, which are very thematically different, it's really hard. But it's got some fantastic performances in it. I think it's. It's a pretty bloody solid film, and I think by itself, I think is a standout that I actually haven't heard as much about. So I would like to sort of take this little opportunity. Like if you haven't watched this, watch it. It's brilliant. You know, it it is a good film, mm. and it's probably it's one really that will get. Film. It's probably one that will get swept under the rug a little bit. So definitely go and check it out if you're listening and haven't already seen it. And the the premise nice. is great as well, isn't it? Like the, yeah, the, yeah. Just the the simple like the elevator pitch. You know, mm. he goes to this town in Alaska to investigate a crime. It never gets dark because it's summer. He can't mm. sleep. Yeah. As he gets more sleep deprived, mm. the film gets better. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. 
I think I disagree slightly with what someone said, like, like how it's very formulaic. I think there's quite nice twists and turns throughout. I don't want to spoil it, because I, like I, I can't really say what they are without spoiling it, but they're really nice. I think it's like one third in where something happens, and really nice twists. And like how it's not simple, like catch the villain, end of the story, happy days. Mm. It's a kind of very... He, it's, he, he catches the villain about halfway through, but then it's another mystery, yeah. like how Link's how... There's a reason why he can't just say, slap the handcuffs on him, boys. And then book him, chief. Yeah. There's more to they have a reason why he can't do that. It's a really There's a nice few reasons kind of why like, he can't say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's really interesting though, like how the it takes a kind of quite generic detective story and does interesting things with it, I feel. That's true. I I, I, I yeah, I agree with you there though. I mean it's it's not a bad film. I, I, don't, I, I don't at all. I think it really does stand out. I just think when it, you you compare it to other Nolan films, I think it's really difficult to put any higher for me. I think it's brilliant in its own right. And I think, like, I guess if you compare it to like, other films, it is a shame that this one's kind of gone a little bit unnoticed in a way. Or at least, it, it, you know, from my point of view, it has. I haven't really seen many people talk about this. I've seen many people talk about Nolan films very passionately. I'm, I'm a Nolan fan, and I'd only just watched this today. I haven't seen it talked about too much. And as a general film, I haven't seen it talked about too much. So it begs the question, who's talking about this and who's watching it? But it's actually a good film. I was expecting mm. to go into this and go... This is going to be the worst Nolan film because it's one of those <laughs> ones that just isn't talked about. But I was like, oh, this is actually really good. This is like, it's solid. It's really solid. I mean, I put it three above Interstellar, so it must be solid. <laughs> yeah, well. Dan knows how much I love the film Interstellar. <laughs> we'll get on to that. Um, <laughs> so I think I think we could just sort of leave that there. I think we summed it up kind of fine. I think mm. there's nothing really too much else to say about Insomnia. It's a pretty good film. If you haven't already seen it, go and see it. We haven't actually given away any spoilers here, other than that Al Pacino's tired. But, um... <laughs> so go and check that out. Go and watch it. It's brilliant. We're going to move on to our number, number three. three. I feel like there's definitely going to be some films to talk about here. Um, Daniel, do you want to start this one? I'll, I'll, I'm happy to. Alright, The Prestige, 2006, number three. Bam. Okay. okay. Alex. Uh, this one might surprise Dan. Dunkirk, number three. Okay. Uh, and my number three is Interstellar. Okay. We'll also talk about Interstellar now. I have mentioned it. So we've talked. Mm. We can talk about Interstellar. We can also talk about Dunkirk. Dunkirk. Mm. I think. Have we all- Daniel, you've mentioned yeah. Dunkirk. Yeah, I- I've, mentioned Dun- I've mentioned Dunkirk. That was my number five. Yeah. That's my number five as well. No, it wasn't. It was my number six. Never mind. Um, <laughs> okay, which one do we want to talk about first? Dunkirk or uh, Interstellar? Let's do Dunkirk. Keep a coin. Let's do Dunkirk. Yeah. I'll do Dunkirk. Uh, oh, oh, I want to start about Dunkirk because the reason that was going to surprise Daniel is because I frequently cite Dunkirk as Christopher Nolan's best film. Okay. That's why it's number three. <laughs> that's why I put it at number three. No, I, just in re-watching <laughs> them, I just decided it wasn't. But that's fine. Opinions change. I mm. think it is again in a year. But um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a strange one. I never watched it in cinemas even though people kept saying it was a Mm. a cinema experience I've only ever watched it on on a TV but uh, yeah I, I, I still think it holds up I really like it yeah I, I admittedly haven't seen it since it came out <laughs> I watched it in the <laughs> cinema I haven't had time to rewatch it I really wanted to but couldn't get around to it so I wanted to kind of be fair to it and it's just sort of slap bang in the middle of the list because there's ones I've seen either more recently um, that I've enjoyed a lot more and I remember enjoying a lot more than Dunkirk but mm. Dunkirk is it is brilliant but there's, I can't really be too specific about why it's brilliant, and that's kind of a difficult one. 
in a way. I I, I think without without spoiling it or without spoiling it, but also I'm I'm kind of a bit like I don't want to say the wrong thing and like get it mm. totally you know mess it up. It's a good film, yeah. um, and it's one of the better sort of war films I've seen. But I think for me again, it depends on what you look for in a Christopher Nolan film. And you know again, call me a basic bitch, but I feel like. I like when Nolan has just the reins to himself to make whatever story he wants in his own world. I think when, again, the same sort of thing with Insomnia, where that's actually um, uh, sort of an adaptation, a remake of an existing story. Uh, Dunkirk is telling a real story and has to be respectful to obviously the people who were there, the families of those who were there, um, but also tell it accurately and still mm. make the story within that. And I feel like as a bit of a very basic point of view i think what i look for in a nolan film is different to that sort of slight restriction even if it is only a slight restriction because he's managed to make a bloody brilliant story out of it i think that restriction to me is still a bit more visible and what i look for is something slightly different to that of dunkirk even though i like it it's sort of where this list turns around for me from sort of a bit sort of like good to Right, this is getting really good now on my list. I mean, interestingly, um, I read that Christopher Nolan once called Dunkirk his most experimental film. Really? This was possibly before Tenet, but mm. because of the structure. <laughs> he, he was saying he had to sit down and work out how these soldiers on, on the mole on the beach, they had, you know, the events for them were over a week. The events for those coming over in the boats from the UK were in a day. And the pilots in the air and the Spitfires <clears throat> mm. were uh, in one hour because mm. the Spitfires only carry an hour worth of fuel. So I think the way he does that is really interesting, the way he sort of combines these three stories that take place yeah, over different periods of time into one story, I think is really interesting. Mm. Um, that's, yeah, that's, I think it's a great That's thing. interesting, yeah. I didn't... I, I... I had kind of forgotten about the specific details of that. That's that is interesting. That's clever the way they did that, especially like because that is in fairness that is quite a hard task to do, especially when you've got sort of you're trying to combine the whole story together. Um, mm. One thing I will note, which has stuck with me even still, is the music in this film is incredible. Mm. So it's the, good. probably the best um, Chris Nolan score, I would say. Yeah, yeah, At, well, the best score from any one of his films. I certainly think it's the best mm. score that works with the yeah. picture in a way. Like yeah. how it's one of the ones I can't really listen to on its own, but in terms of how it works with the image, it's certainly one most effective. The use of the shepherd tone is extremely effective at really building the tension, the really kind of like sense of going up and up and up, like going on a roller coaster, going up and up and up and up, never ever going down. You always feel like, mm. okay, what's coming next? What's coming next? It really gets you engrossed in the action, I feel. Mm. Yeah. I, I... Also, the, the sound design in general is just incredible. Oh, it's top notch. Absolutely. Like when you start to hear the the bombers or the Spitfires or um, yeah. whatever the planes are coming over, when you start to hear them creeping in so slowly, oh yeah, and you start to sort of see characters notice it one by one. It's really good. But I think here's where the, uh, Daniel. Did you see this in the cinema? I did. Yeah. Because I, I I watched this in IMAX. So I was quite lucky to get that because I wasn't like a, a huge. I mean, I was a Nolan fan, but back when it came out, I wasn't too familiar with a lot of his work. So I just went to see it at, like just because on a whim and it was brilliant especially again in cinemas that first scene where they're walking through that sort of village and those gunshots are so like horrible it's a horrible experience because it's so real you feel 
the impact of those bullets. You feel the speed, the weight. Like you feel everything just with the sound design. Because um, you never see spoilers. That's got to be commended. Yeah. Spoilers, because I've seen someone on Letterboxd complaining about a review spoiling this. Mm. You never see the Germans. <laughs> apart from the end, though, when Tom Hardy's being grabbed by the soldiers, he's silhouettes. Mm. But you never actually see the Germans. You just hear them, you're aware of them, That's talk about them. That's incredible. I never really considered that. So they're more of like an entity. A looming a... presence over yeah. the hill. I That's... saw someone compare them to the projections from Inception. That's yeah, interesting. They're, they're, That's the interesting. face of evil. Evil doesn't have a face. It's like Duel, the Steven Spielberg film. You don't see the face of evil. <laughs> there is no one face. It has many faces. It takes many mm. forms. Mm. That is interesting. I'd never noticed that. I've never heard that it's mentioned about the film as well. That's really interesting. Sorry, Daniel. It's amazing, how you have, it's, amazing, it's amazing how you don't have to actually see the antagonist to know it's there, like to know the threat they mm. face. If that, you have to see the danger. You just know the danger's there. That's quite amazing feat of it of filmmaking. Yeah. It's time to reconsider. I might move it to number one again. <laughs> I'm not sure. It keeps changing. Well, that, that's understandable. I've had that whilst making this video uh, podcast or whatever you want to call it. So you saying video. YouTube's been a force of habit. Naughty George. Um, I'll, uh, yeah, I've sort of wanted to shift a few while I'm talking about them in this uh, in this podcast. But yeah, I don't know. I think again, like. For me, again, like just talking more specifically about the score, because I know we'll get onto that a little bit more with other stuff. Um, again, shout out to the previous podcast episode uh, where me and Jack Murphy talked about Shaun of the Dead. His pick for the record spinner was the entire soundtrack for this film. Um, if you're not familiar, the record spinner is a little segment we do on our individual film review podcast episodes where our guest will pick out a film soundtrack or individual track from a film that they want to highlight and put in this little highlighted collection for this podcast and all of them get added to a little fancy spotify playlist and his choice was the dunkirk soundtrack and i'm absolutely not surprised by that in the slightest um i'm gonna get a bit nerdy on you here but the again the use of like shepherd tone very well done i'm sure we've all seen that youtube video as well but it's uh vox check it out <laughs> we yeah. are not sponsored yeah. by vox in any not, way like not sponsored <laughs> but it's no, a great... I don't know about you guys i'm sponsored by vox i've got a partnership <laughs> That's a partnership but it's it's a great video and it's a great sort of um look again into the music and how that sort of contributes into the sound design of this um uh, that sort of constantly increasing tone it just puts you on edge and it again works with the film and the daniel was saying before it's sort of it, it's it's one of the best scores for one of his films that actually works into the film it yeah. feels almost like inseparable yeah you 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 sometimes can't separate what's just sound effects and sound design generally and like an actual piece of music which i think is very clever um and obviously chris nolan's use of time that sort of ticking um is a constant motif stopwatch yeah yeah very very good in this and uh something very notable but yeah is there anything else we want to say about dunkirk before we uh, shift on to our next pick i got a couple um, of quick things mm, but alex okay. please go first i was just gonna say that harry styles is in it he does an incredible job yeah um, and he also plays a character called Alex, which makes him even better. <laughs> a special place in your heart. Exactly. That's a fair point. That's a fair that's point. It, that's, all I, that's all I have to say. 
<laughs> Linking into the, whole perf- the comments on performance, Mark Rylance is chef's kiss. Mm. He is absolutely fantastic in this film. Like, there's a, reason why this, there's a reason why this man is an Oscar-winning actor, one of the finest actors working today, and one of the finest actors of all time. Like, I, I will stand by that comment. He is, honestly, in this film, he can do so much with so little. There's not much kind of, like, character development in this film, really. That's a fair comment, I feel. But his character, from literally so, so little, says so much. He really can sell a lot of just his expressions, his eyes, and that's real merit to him. So I just want to single him out there for praise. And then Good kind sense. of, and also kind of like in terms of the cinematography, the IMAX shots and the dogfights, the way he put an IMAX camera on a Spitfire is out of this world to me. It's mm. absolutely mind blowing. And I really seeing those dogfights like in the big screen on IMAX really pulls you in like nothing mm. I've seen before. Because they're real like, planes, so, aren't they? They 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 actually yeah, they're real planes. Oh, they yeah, Tom Hardy another, in an actual plane. That's another point I was going to say. Is I mean, Chris Nolan, credit to him. This man strapped an IMAX camera to a Spitfire and sent it up in the sky. <laughs> and and, and, and Tom it, Hardy actually in it. Yeah, just piloted by a second. I mean, this is the same guy who destroyed an IMAX camera on the set of I think The Dark Knight. Yeah, he was. Uh, that or one it, of the yeah. Batman films. He just destroyed an IMAX camera. What, At the time, I think or? it was. No, 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 by accident, by accident. He's not a madman. He wouldn't destroy his favourite thing like that. But it was... Um, just the chairs. I'm pretty sure it was one of, like, four in the world at the time, and he just crushed yeah. it. Um, and then he's decided now to start strapping them to Spitfires and stuff, so... Yeah, cinematography you know. is just hell. beautiful in this film. It really adds, elevates the storytelling, I feel. Yeah. And also, that scene where... This is a moment for me, a really standout moment. The scene where the civilian boats all arrive... And like Kenneth Branagh goes, like, there's a lot of binoculars. The guy says, what do you see? You're like, home. And like, you hear the Nimrod by Elgar, the arrangement yeah. by Benjamin Wolfish. It's one of the most stirring moments of any Christopher Nolan film, hands down it, for me. It, also, it, in films in recent time, and films I've ever seen, it's just a really stirring moment. Like, it, yeah. it never fails to give me chills every time I watch that, no matter the time I'm watching it or where I'm watching it. It is the first time I watched this. This is the only Christopher Nolan film that's ever made me cry. And it was the first time I watched this film. Bloody hell. And it was right at the end. And no other Christopher Nolan film has done that. I cried at the Dark Knight um, Rises. Did you? Yeah. I don't like. I didn't, I didn't like seeing Michael Caine cry. Oh, that was really sad at the yeah. end when he's like, I, where, he's like where, where he's like bubbling and his like face is red and he looks like he's been stung by a oh, wasp. No, that was horrible. That was horrible. That got me. That's yeah. True. Yeah. It was. Oh, yeah. That was. That was rough. I would say I love that scene as well, Daniel, but it has been ruined for me. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> Alex, memes. do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the memes yeah. of um, where they combined the it. Yeah, where they combined it with Mamma Mia, and they have Colin Firth <laughs> and Pierce Brosnan on the boat singing "Dancing Queen." <laughs> and it's such a good meme, but it it has ruined the because I can't see that scene without laughing because I sort of. Yeah, the original. It's like the opening of Up now with the song with the do 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 do. Yeah, like all the memes now. Yeah, it's kind yeah, of hard yeah. not to laugh at it. Yeah, I yeah. but I do need to give Dunkirk another watch at some point, and talking passionately mm. about it today has definitely convinced me to do that. However, we are going to move on to the next one, which I will start by saying Interstellar is good, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Interstellar is a good film. Discuss. <laughs> the, uh, the first half of Interstellar, I really like. Okay. Um, right. Up to about Spoilers. Up to about Matt Damon. I really like it. Including Matt Damon. I'm not going to s- s- slag him off. Until he was in it, it was great. But no, no. But 
up up to about the Matt Damon part, mm. I was really enjoying it, and then I wasn't. Really? Okay, that's interesting. Daniel, uh, although it's my number eight, I actually, as I said, it's my middle tier. It means it's quite interchangeable. It could be at the top of the middle tier one day. But I think it's an amazing film. It's actually free. The more I think about it now. I, th- I think I think it's much more rewatchable than say Memento. Like I, right now tonight, if I was watching a film, I'd probably more chance to be watching Interstellar than I am Memento. That's just personal preference. That's just me. But Interstellar, I think it's a great film. I really admire the ambition and scope of the film, and the, you kind of the like similar to how I commented how the, in, the use of injury in Dark Knight Rises, how it takes something very simple, but other films choose not choose to ignore. This film, the use of time on Miller's planet with the wave, where one hour equates to seven years on Earth, that's wonderful, and something I haven't seen addressed in any science fiction film. Take, like, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, Luke can go to Dago Bar, and then the others can go to Bespin, and the times, he can go across to see them, time hasn't changed, there's no time difference. Mm. I think it's really amazing to see that time difference used it's, in the film. It's a really like, simple, but is, really uh, powerful. If there's one thing I always thought Star Wars needed, it was more scientific realism. Uh, <laughs> It really, it really livens up a sci-fi film for me. Okay, <laughs> thank you, Alex, for that. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Um, I think it's really, it's amazing. George, personally. you look crushed. In, Interstellar's good. Okay, Interstellar is a, is a great film, uh, and I and I dis, I disagree. I think the ending is brilliant, and the last like half of the film, even after Matt Damon, I think is brilliant. Um, I I I I can't. I have to say, it. and the thing is, a lot of people describe it as a modern day two thousand and one. And part of me couldn't agree more, but the side of me that isn't too keen on 2001 would heavily, heavily disagree because I think this is better. In a lot of ways. I think the side of me that's, that's not too keen on 2001 <laughs> is the same side of me that watched Interstellar because. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure I'll talk about 2001 on this podcast at some point. I'm not the biggest fan of it. I love what mm. this film does though, and I know what Daniel's saying about like scientific realism. I think that is a huge part of it. I, it's a very different way to do a sci fi because there's. Yeah, you could say, well. You know, that's the thrill of a lot of sci-fi is that like it doesn't have to be real. You can just do whatever it wants and lasers and all that sort of shit. The thing I like about this film is it genuinely feels like a real space rom. It's the most realistic that I think I've seen in terms of um, time differentiation, in terms of like visuals as well. Like the oh, actual yeah. science to it, I think makes it a more interesting film, and I think that. I think that elevates it above other sort of science fiction properties. And I love science fiction. It's a, it's a genre that I particularly really enjoy. So to see a film uh, take that and do it in a real sense, but not make it, like, boring, you know, it's not a Brian Cox lecture. It's, like, it's it's a very, you know, it's a very interesting film. And I think there's, there's interesting elements. I think, I can't remember the specific ins and outs of it, but there's something, like, wasn't this film originally intended for someone like Spielberg to direct it? Like, the story, the way the story was put together with like the family and all that sort of thing there was something mm. about that now correct me if i'm wrong but i um i can see that the the elements of the family the first chunk of the film doesn't feel too nolan-esque in terms of storytelling i think it's when it gets into space that actually to me it gets interesting mm. I, I i can see you coming from there mm. like no one really thinks of if I say marriage story, you don't think, well, that's a Christopher Nolan film. It's like, it's yeah. very much kind of, he's not seen as this very guy who loves films about dialogue and drama mm. and character-based drama. He, like, when I think Nolan, I think spectacle. I think mm. amazing imagery that will stay with me for the rest of my life. I kind of, that's what I think of when I think of Nolan. Like, 
big scale stories, epics as it were, modern day Ben Hur's. That's yeah. how I think about. No, I don't think about intimate character drama. However, I probably should more. I think looking back mm. at his films, he does do it very well. But I feel like he, the fact that he shoots with films in IMAX now, really kind of lends itself like mm. big screen spectacle. He sells himself as the master yeah. of big screen. But I think and he really he deserves so, yeah. more respect. Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly, he nails it. I think mean, his character drama deserves more credit. I think mean, he really does know how to handle yeah. good intimate character drama. Like the moment where he says goodbye to Murph, actually, I think quite moving. I find mm. very stirring where he's saying goodbye to her and she doesn't want him to go. It's really quite an affecting scene. Yeah, I, I think for me as well, and like, I'm not. I, this is the thing as well. In my sort of taste in films, I get a lot out of things that try to be weird. I mean, like, my favourite films are, like, The Lighthouse, The Shining. <laughs> you get that, though. The ending of this, from the black hole sequence onwards, I think really drives that <laughs> home for me, the way they do that. Because I... Th and you can debate, because I feel like there's a lot of people who don't really like the ending too much. And there are a few weird things about the very ending. Um, but, I don't know. I actually quite like that he sees his daughter as, like, an old woman. I, I, I quite like the sort of... The connection thing with that sort of strange realm he's in where he sort of connects and sends a signal through to the past yeah. i think that's fascinating and so creatively done um and then obviously the music well, we need you to know. talk about that we have yeah. a whole hour to talk about that the music's, music's incredible the music the music's incredible alex yeah no the music is incredible <laughs> i think it's a film that loses a lot it loses a lot on second viewing for me right well that I thing is the first, the first time i watched it was the best thing is and then it's just got worse i've seen it i've seen it once so i will be i'll, I'll be interested to see how it holds up then on, on a rewatch because mm -hmm. i have only seen it once and i and i loved it but maybe also and i think I, I carry a lot of this when i'm sort of watching films especially for the first time or even on rewatch actually i feel like expectation before you go into a film is such a huge part in your enjoyment factor especially for me personally mm. Um, I've had this with a lot of cases, and the case that I always bring up is Kingsman, The Golden Circle. Now, <laughs> when that came out, I heard that it was absolute shit. So I was going into the film expecting it to be terrible, and I came out going, that was pretty good. That was quite fun. It was a bit... It wasn't as good as... John in it. Yeah. What's well, not so like? Yeah, and he was the best thing about the film. But it was like, it was, it yeah. was fun. On rewatch, because we watched it, Max hadn't seen it before, and we watched it at the house, and me and Zara were like, no, it's pretty good. Like, it's almost as good as the first one. Like, it's a really, like, solid <laughs> film. We watched it. We went in thinking it's going to be great. And it was... It was terrible. It really wasn't a good <laughs> film. And I think, again, this is part of that. I went into Interstellar expecting it to be one of the weekend Nolan films. Because my dad really doesn't like this film. And he's a big sci-fi fan, just like me. So I was expecting this to be a bit crap. But when I watched it, I was like, Dad, you need to watch that again. You, you've You've clearly seen a different film to me because this is brilliant. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I feel like the 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 best parts of this film are the moments that that shock you, and when they don't shock you anymore, it's not mm. for me not as good. Like I'm going to go into a bit of spoilers here, but mm. like that bit, the scene where he comes back from the wave planet and. Mm. Uh, there's he's looking through all the, the messages from his son and then his mm. daughter um the first time i watched it that really hit me i was like wow that's so sad and obviously mcconaughey gives an amazing performance mm. uh that is very you know emotional but when i watched it again i was like oh okay that sucks they're old now 
Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, like, the the bit with Matt Damon as well, I was like, Matt Damon. I was a bit like, uh, <laughs> a bit Team America for you, though. I was a bit like, oh, yeah, that, I saw that one coming. Oh, and my then God. Brilliant. The whole reveal with, like, him going through the black hole at the end and sending mm. the messages, I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Sure. I get that. I get that. I, I, I don't know. I... Maybe I do need to rewatch it, and maybe I'll see it differently. But as it stands, it's it's one of my favourites. And maybe that's because I'm such a big fan of sci-fi that it was really refreshing to see it done in a very different lens, in sort of Nolan's style. I would never want him to touch this genre again, though. I don't think he should ever go near sci-fi. I think he should leave it. He's done it. Do some. I, I don't ever come back to this because I don't think he could top this. I feel like you'd have to do something different. And I th- if if you if you try and do the same sort of thing, scientific realism in sci-fi then it'll not come across as well. If you try and do something different, then it'll not be like Nolan. It'll be a bit too flashy and a little bit, you know, Dark Knight Rises. But would but, you not say that that's exactly what happened with Tenet? In what sense? He's come back to do this sort of sci-fi concept about mm. reversing the the order or the time, the temporal, however he phrased it. It's very like, oh, look at me. I've got all these sciencey terms that I'm going to use to make this sound super realistic and... It's yeah. just not as, it's not done as well as Interstellar. Would you say Tenet is a sci-fi film though? Man reverses the I time would. of objects. Of course I would. I would say sci-fi sci-fi action or sci-fi I, thriller. I, I would have just went action, but has someone what? just been executed, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry, someone's just gone up. The <laughs> <laughs> um That's an interesting they one. Were, um... I, I maybe you're right then, maybe that is what happened with Tenet. But that's that, that proves my point. I don't think, I don't think you could do Interstellar again, and I think that's exactly right. I think it is a bit like a modern day two thousand one in all the best ways, and I think when I first watched this, and the only time I've watched this, I, I went in expecting it to be sort of fine, but not his best work, and came out going, "Wow, that was brilliant! I absolutely adore this film. The music, the acting, the visuals, which are such a the visuals are so striking in this film, anyway. and I know they are with a lot of oh, modern yeah. films, but specifically with the space stuff, the use of CGI in this. And so you, you, yeah, yeah, and that specifically is incredible. You're on the edge of your seat, you know. Um, and again, the way they do the, the black holes, brilliant, and the the effects of the the, the water planet scene. I, I could watch that endlessly. That's such a brilliant um, scene of this film. But yeah, no, I mean, well, it's uh, Daniel and I have a a flatmate who's uh, dad. Dan, help me out here. Her dad said that the waves in Interstellar are very realistic. Yeah, he's a sailor, I think. Yeah, he... Master Harbour, Harbour Master. <laughs> I think, I think he was in the navy. I'm yeah, something like that. Yeah. Wrong. And now he drives a ferry across, so he knows what waves look like. And he said the waves in this film are very good. So there you go. There's my review of Interstellar. The waves are good, as so I've heard. The w- Hang on, does he mean in terms of like the CGI, or does he mean just in terms of like how big they are? Like that's real. That's that's what he goes to. No, every no, day. no. The CGI. Yeah, like the, I was the, gonna uh, say because at first that's what I thought you meant is that he's going. Oh yeah, those are realistic. I face that every day. Like I like this is what I sail <laughs> through. Yeah, no, there is I a risk of death. The, phys- the physics right. of the wave. Fair enough. Not- <laughs> well, that makes <laughs> that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Um, that is Interstellar. Is there anything else that really wants to be said about it? Preferably well, in, the next, tw- <laughs> in the next minute and 15 seconds. I'll do it quick. Right? So, I, I've seen this film twice, and I really like it. I personally, I could watch it again tonight, and mm. I think I still would enjoy it. I think the music, 
my favorite score of all time. One of my favorite scores oh, yeah, of all yeah. time. That needs to be made yeah. clear. I love the use of the organ. Really gives it. Oh. It's been said a lot, but it's being a religi- religiosity and his greater power and like touching something out there, like trying to achieve something mm. bigger. It's really wonderful. Mm. And I think that the acting is fantastic all around. However, Jessica Chastain and Casey Affleck do feel criminally underused. They need. They should have had more to do. I think. It's, yeah. like, both of them. Uh, like, Casey Affleck is an Oscar-winning actor, and Jessica Chastain is a multi-Oscar-nominated actress. She had more to well, do, I think. Dan, you know how I feel about um, uh, the man whose name I've forgotten because I admire him that much. <laughs> the granddad. Oh, um, Michael Caine. John Lithgow. John, oh, no, John, John Lithgow. Incredible. Incredible. I thought it was about Michael Caine. I'm, I'm out of it. No, no, John Lithgow. <laughs> Incredible. That's John all I Lithgow. Say on the film. John Lithgow is, is great. He is great in that film. I prefer him as Farquaad, Michael Caine, actually. Of course you do. <laughs> Moving on from <laughs> Lord Farquaad, um, we're going to talk about the next film, which... Oh, we haven't, we haven't actually got a next film. We're just going to have to go for second place, aren't we? Um, I'll start my second place with Inception. Third place, isn't it? We've done third place. That was my, oh. that was Interstellar for me. <laughs> my apologies. I'm going to do it. It's my second place. Just ruin the moment, Daniel. It's all right. Uh, my second place is Inception. Daniel, what's your second place? The Dark Knight, 2008. Okay. Dan, uh, I've already done Daniel. Alex, what's your second place? The Prestige. Okay. So have we've all mentioned Inception Pres- now? Yeah. I have mentioned Inception, yeah. <laughs> ah. Okay. The we've all mentioned okay. The Prestige, I we've think. All, we've all mentioned The Prestige. Okay. I'll be interested because like, I've watched Prestige quite recently, so I don't think I've talked to either of you about it. Mm. But it's, up, it's quite high in both of your lists. It's a great film. Yeah, it is brilliant. I, 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 I agree. I can't, I can't believe I hadn't heard much about it going in because, like, I did. I just again, it was one of those ones, a little bit like Insomnia, where I was like, I've heard nothing. I don't know if it's actually going to be that good because whenever mm. we talk about Nolan films, they talk about Dunkirk, they talk about Interstellar, they talk about Inception, Dark Knight, like the Batman trilogy. I don't really hear too much about this. Very underrated, um, that sense. It's got David Bowie as Tesla, isn't it? That's he's, what he, he's brilliant. We're not mm. going to do the. Um, Bin wasp joke. We'll keep those. Um, <laughs> uh, we'll keep. We'll keep those away from here. But yeah, he. I think this film is so bloody clever, and it's exactly the kind of thing that I look for in a Nolan film. We were sat on the sofa watching this as a group, and we were just sort of like shouting at each other, going, "No, this is what's happening. No, that. No, that, trust me, that that's right." And we were both wrong. Um, <laughs> I. This is so bloody brilliant. I don't really want to talk about this without spoilers. If you haven't seen this film, seriously, you do not want to hear us talk about it because you really can't know spoilers going into this. It's one of those ones you really shouldn't know anything. And if you do know something, you probably don't know everything. So just watch it and then you can relax. This is this is such a great film. Mm. The fact where that, did you um, where did you rank it? Quite low, wasn't it? For me, it was uh, fourth place. Ridiculous. Slightly below Interstellar, but I still love it. Yeah, no, it is it is great. It is really good. I mean, all the performances are great. I actually like Christian Bale in this one, unlike mm. the Dark Knight trilogy. Yeah. Um, maybe it's the accent. Maybe like him playing this like really rich American guy just reminds me too much of Patrick Bateman in American Psycho. Yes, yeah, <laughs> a little bit. It was very, like, especially the look as well was very similar. Mm. So maybe um, that's why, but I really like him in this. I think he's really good. I think... Obviously, Hugh Jackman's incredible. Scott yeah. Hansen does a, an accent, and it's it's something. Um, <laughs> um, 
I, I don't know. I, 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 yeah, I quite like Hugh Jackman reprising his role of P.T. Barnum in this. That's fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, it, it's a good great. film. I, 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 I like how both. I like in a, in a way, in a weird way. I like how it's simplistic in terms of its story, but also very complicated at the same time. The simplicity mm. of just like, Christian Bale kills Hugh Jackman's wife like by accident, and then like they just try and get one up on each other to the point where it unfolds into this strange sort of twisted narrative but the reveals of this film the twists of this film are so well done mm. it's yeah, a very petty film yeah no <laughs> I, I i i don't know I, it's really difficult to talk about it because I, I think it's there's so much to it and it's so complex that I don't know, really. I, well, you can take the floor, guys, because I'm, I'm, I'm not really sure where to start. No, I can't agree it. with you there. Like, it's just, like, sometimes fun, but, like, I can 100% recommend it. It's a fantastic film. Like, it's it's paid, rewards the viewer for paying attention, which is always nice. It's kind of like a perfect mix for a Christian Nolan film in terms of mm. a really interesting story, interesting characters, and great twists. It's like a perfect kind of, like, if someone asked me what is quintessential um, Nolan, that's probably up there. It's one of the films I'd say, that's quintessential mm. Nolan. Yeah, that yeah. is what I look for in, in his new films. When he makes his new film in a couple of years' time, that I hope it will be a prestige type. You know what I mean? Like that's the sort of film I want to watch. Mm. A re-engaging kind of film that keeps me riveted throughout the whole runtime, and like the is richer of every viewing, which is always nice. I think. Mm. Have you, you got notes? You know, I have. Yes. How do you know? You're reading. <laughs> I just saw you read from. I can't believe you got notes. That's so prepared. I haven't got. Anything. I don't. I don't have notes. I have a list. That's about it. I've got a list yeah, as it's well. Just, it's really just good stuff. Really. Like fantastic, little, little nuance. Oh, I thought mm. you were talking about his notes. Whoops. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really fantastic list of uh, notes. Yeah. Great nuance, you know. <laughs> I think. Yeah, um, I it. yeah I, I think there's so many like elements of this film that I really love. I, I love the the idea that again, like it's the way Christopher Nolan when when he when he's at, when he's at his best, which is like here and a few other films, he really delivers. And I think with the twist of Christian Bale playing the two different characters in this film and, and change, like being interchangeable um, with the sort of strange disguise that they've got on. Um, like, I think that's so... Because any other filmmaker, I feel, would have just went, ah, there's the twist. But the idea that that's affecting, like, the marriage, the relationship with the kid, the, the actual act, like, all of that come together is so, so clever. And... I don't know about you guys, but I didn't spot that. I couldn't have guessed that going into it at well, all. Here's the thing. There's so many clever twists that when I was re-watching mm. it for this, I hadn't watched it for a while. And when I was re-watching it for this podcast, I, having seen it before, still couldn't guess some of them. I was like, mm. wait, hang on a minute. Yeah. I, I, I guessed them wrong. I was like, oh, I remember how this goes. It's this. And then it happened and it was completely but not that. The, and that's the, great. The clever thing about this film is it tells you exactly what happens in the first shot. Mm. Oh, the, the first oh, the shot hats. of the hats everywhere and it's such a shot that doesn't even make much sense until you get later on in the film and then you realise exactly what it is but then you go well mm. why didn't I think of that especially with the stuff with the um, the bird in the cage that, 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 that magic trick where they kill a bird every time mm. what about the bird's brother <laughs> <laughs> such a clever thing because the, again even that that's right at the beginning of the film somehow Christopher Nolan manages to pull off such a good twist that basically tells you the twist right at the beginning of the film which makes the payoff even more satisfying than it would have been anyway which is already pretty satisfying I'm just not my fan which is already pretty satisfying I, I it really blew me away this film and the amount of twists and 
the depth of those twists because they're not just surface level like ah i got you this wasn't what you expected it's actually like totally ingrained into the story on so many levels and i love that um i think the the storytelling can get a little bit confusing not tenant level but i think like christian bale reading um hugh jackman's diary where Hugh Jackman mm. is noting down reading Christian Bale's diary is it gets like especially when it shows you all those things it's like okay well where where are we now um but no i i think this film is really underrated actually mm. in terms of nolan films i think everyone talks about inception everyone talks about the dark knight people talk about interstellar dunkirk i don't really hear many people talk about the prestige but i think it's no. it is one of his best films i concur I think there as well. There's not really too much else to say, though, is there? I think that that's I mean, that. It's, it's it like, is just. Mm. Yeah, I was just Bowie is film, great. Yeah, it's the only film that you can say Gollum is the Igor to Ziggy Stardust's Victor Frankenstein, which is an incredible <laughs> that is sentence. Incredible sentence, yeah. I think yeah, David David Bowie's great in this as well. He's like, so he's good. Actually, he's actually really good. Um, and I knew that's the one thing. That, yeah. Have you seen Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence? I haven't. Man, you'd like that. There's a lot of it's references to that in this. David Bowie's in that film with Tom Conzi. So it's like a little callback. <laughs> Chris Nolan just watched Merry anything. Christmas, Mr. Lawrence and thought, oh yeah, you know what? We need you. I'll take them. <laughs> two, please. <laughs> I'll sign that in my basket. I'll, I'll have two to go. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think the one, the one thing I remember watching when I was, when I was originally watching this film, because I, I have this habit of doing this where I sort of like, I go, oh, who's that? And then I look them up, like who played them. It's the one film where I was about to do it and was like, oh, I'll just watch it. Thank God I didn't, because I, I looked, it, it was like Christian Bale's assistant, the old guy, and I was like, who the hell is that? Like, who's playing that guy? Because they're all like top tier actors. Like, who's that? Who's this guy who's just there the whole time? I was like, I'll just search him. Like, oh, no, I can't be asked. I'll just wait till the end. Thank God I bloody mm. waited. Because if I found out very early on via Google that that was also Christian Bale, I would have been like, <laughs> Oh, for fuck's sake! Yeah, because it wouldn't have come up on IMDb, and you'd have thought, "Oh, you know what I'll do? I'll just, uh, I'll just Google like Christian Bale assistant, The Prestige." Yeah, 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 yeah. I just, yeah, every, everything about it is so well done, and I, and I also love as well that like, Hugh Jackman plays not just himself, but also just some random drunk guy in the <laughs> film. I, I, you know, the, the funniest thing when we were watching this, and I'm not going to, I don't want to out Max, but he did genuinely believe that was a different actor. I was like, really? how? How? I mean, like, he's very clearly Hugh Jackman with some, like, do, like some <laughs> teeth implants and, like, doing a funny accent and, like, strange eyes and shit. Like, but it's very clearly still Hugh Jackman. He looked like he was having fun as well. Yeah, he was having a great time with that. He was having a really great time with that. But yeah, no, I think there's not too much more that can be said about Prestige. Mm. It's a brilliant film. And I feel like everyone who's listening to this has already seen it. And if you haven't, you've just ruined it for yourself. <laughs> so you know it's a good film. We you said can it's a good still film. enjoy it, though. Trust me. I need a twist going into it the first time. Someone told me how I found out. I don't know how I found out. Some must have, must have come up with a conversation about twists and films. And they said Shutter Island twist and a prestige twist. And I was like, oh, I'm probably going to watch it. It's fine. Then I actually watched prestige. And I'm like, oh, is this the one where it's the twist I think it is? And I was like, oh, yeah. I still really enjoyed it, though. I think it's a really yeah, great film yeah. despite knowing it. Well, that's why I'm looking forward to rewatching it. Because, again, I've only watched that quite recently. But when I rewatch it, I'm interested to see how that's going to come across, whether or not it'll be as good. Yeah. Because I think on this is one of those films that when you first watch it, it's such an experience. Hmm. 
such an yeah. experience. Um, but I think what what uh, Interstellar loses on a rewatch, I think this maintains. Mm. For me, I personally think that this uh, is still as cool <laughs> on a second mm. or third viewing. Yeah, well, for me, the Prestige and Interstellar are like obviously four and three on this list. So I'm I'm I may flip that round on rewatch, just depending, because obviously that really does tell a lot about a film whether it holds up or not uh, watching it so many times but yeah um i think we should move on to our number ones it's now. time we have um have we all got three different films here i think Seems we like actually it. have um have. that's gonna be interesting so alex we'll start with your number one my current favorite christopher nolan film is memento daniel Inception 2010 for me. And mine is The Dark Knight. Not to be a basic film boy, but <laughs> it is a good film. Which one should we talk about first? Should we talk about the Memento first? Alright. Let's start with Memento. Alex, tell us about Memento. What do you like about Memento? Oh, it's so cool. I mean, firstly, right, you got Guy Pierce, who is absolutely incredible. I'm sorry, hang on, do me a wait. Someone's just running a fucking marathon up my staircase. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, sorry. So, yeah, Memento is great. Uh, firstly, you've got Guy Pierce, who is just amazing as uh, Lenny, uh, as he loves to be called. Mm. The, the concept is incredible. The way it's told is incredible. The, um, that sweet, sweet ambiguity... Mm. that I love from yeah. films I love that. is mastered in this film. Um, the Just the filmmaker, everything. Chris Nolan goes all out for this, as he had to, to sort of prove his metal. Is that the expression? Mm. Mm. <laughs> to sort of prove his worth. This was yeah. just a big opportunity, I think. And uh, I mean, he took it. It really is good. I think it's the best thing he's ever made. And I don't like to say that because... He's made lots and lots of films since, but it really mm. is good. It's a huge step up from following. Definitely. Mm. 100%. Step up. It's, it's very much that sort of standard like Chris Nolan film. He does it all. It's, it's, it's the whole package. You get the whole shebang in Memento, and I quite like that. I only watched it for the first time yesterday, um, and I loved it. It's not like my absolute favourite, but it's my fifth place. I think it's a brilliant film. Maybe on rewatch... I'll have more appreciation for it. Um, but yeah, no, the way the story's told, um, and again, the ambiguity, I think, is such a big thing. Again, when I mentioned my favourite films being like The Lighthouse and The Shining, I'm a fan of ambiguity. I like that. Mm. I like not knowing exactly what happens in a film like by the end. I like having something where I can go away and going, well, did that happen or did that happen? And I'm not talking about The Dark Knight Rises where it's like, did he die or did he not? It's like, how do you actually interpret the whole film and there are so many different ways you can have it. And it's all down to personal preference. I love when that happens. Um, Daniel, what do you think about the mental? The tough ones. Like, how got my notes here? Like, mm. I say how much I like it, but at the same time, I can't really single out. Like, I, I kind of mm. can. I say the black and white scene sequences are really effective. It's really interesting use of black and white and colour to try and differentiate the time periods or time zones or... I know how Nolan recorded himself, like the reverse and the going forward and whatnot. Mm. It's really, it's, mm. it's a very effective use of 
seems like something as simple as black and white colour to help the audience along on that journey. And the yeah. film is extremely well crafted. I can't deny that. The way it's put, the actual construction and the way it's composed is phenomenal. Mm. And how I think, and I like you said, Guy Pearce's performance is really great. I mm. think that he really kind of lends the characters kind of uneasiness. Like I know about you, but I kind of me watching his performance, you don't know you can trust this guy entirely. He seems slightly mm. kind of unreliable narrator in a way. Yeah, and I think that is intentional as well. I, I actually quite. And obviously that that lends into the ambiguity of it. Um, the whole again unreliable narrator. I think that's a really good point. And I love, I love the use of um, color and black and white to infer where the where this scene is happening and where it's taking place. Um, and I love how that comes together with that Polaroid shot. Um, which yeah, it's amazing how the film concludes at the center point of the story chronologically. That's so clever because you spend this entire film seeing the events leading up to that bit and, you know, the, the events immediately after and then seeing that final scene is... It's, it's such a clever way of being able to plan out a story and I feel like if this hadn't worked as well as it did, I feel like Nolan's career would have been very different in terms of his style of films um, and I'm so glad this did well because it really did pave the way for a lot of um, other brilliant Nolan outings. Because although this is, you know, this is number five for me, it's number one for you, Alex. Like, it, it, whereabouts is it for you, Daniel? It's my kind of, I feel it's number nine, but like it's, it's in gone. the middle tier, so it's very interchangeable. It can move around. It could be top of tier, middle tier. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Depends yeah. on the day I watch it, you know? Yeah. I think it's, it is one of those ones though, but it, it's sort of, depending on whether you like some of his other films a lot more than Memento. Like, there is sort of an unsung appreciation for it. I, I think when you sort of look at it and go, well, it's still one of those ones. It's one of the first ones in that style. And we wouldn't have these other films if it wasn't for Memento doing this well. Yeah, it and, holds up. Yeah, and it holds up spectacularly for a film that's been out for quite a long time. And one of his earlier years, works. Thanks. Bloody hell. And again, one of his, you know, one of his first films, you don't expect it to hold up that well. The jump from following to Memento was so significant. I was blown away. Um, and I think between, and I think it's actually really interesting that, especially for myself, in the last 24 hours, I've watched those first three films of his filmography. Um, I think that is, that is right, isn't it? Um, Insomnia, Memento, and Following being his first three. Hmm. I think yeah. it's really interesting seeing those three back to back and how different all three of them are. It's almost like he's trying to work out what kind of films he wants to make, and he settled on Memento as like the kind of base plate for his future work. And I feel that's what makes Memento so good for me, looking back on it, seeing that film as one of the last out of all of his other films, it was like, this is where it like started. This is like the origin of it. This is him working out what kind of filmmaker he wants to be and him succeeding at making a bloody good film in the process. I feel like the way it's structured, the, the acting, the guessing game that you play with it again that's such a, a big staple of Nolan films now to play that sort of guessing game of what's happening here who's that whatever but I feel like it's so balanced between you know because some some of them are a bit too much some of them are a bit too little this gets it bang on the mystery the intrigue and then going away still not really being sure what happened it has all yeah. the Nolan tropes but I think it does it um a lot better than some of his other films. So I can absolutely see why Alex has put this as it is sort of number one. And this is like the Thank Nolan you. origin story, you know? Kind of the blueprint yeah. is there. 
This yeah. is Nolan Begins, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone's like favorite film. <laughs> and it's... then, um, little little funny story. Uh, about... Oh yes. Oops, excuse me. Little funny story about me watching um, Memento when I went to rewatch it for this podcast. Uh, it's uh, I put the DVD in into this uh, into my fa- my family's Blu-ray player at home. Mm. And I hit play, and it started about thirty minutes into the film. I thought, oh, someone's like, someone's like, it's like a memory DVD player or something. I don't, I don't know. So I, I went back to the menu, and I hit start, and it went back to the first, exactly the same point, thirty minutes in. And then, uh, so I went to scene selection and selected scene one, and it started about thirty minutes in. And so basically, I had to to put the film on. Uh, and then rewind the first 30 minutes of the film to start watching it. And I feel like that's like the most memento thing to yeah. to a film <laughs> viewing experience ever. That's, that's, that's so bloody weird. Like it's not being know. chatty had a pencil out to wind it back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man, did your VHS player not have like the uh, electric rewind? But if you did that, you risk the tape kind of like stuck or loose or whatnot. Not when you're as skilled as I am. <laughs> Alex knows his way around a pencil. Um, yeah, so <laughs> to shift on uh, from that, because I think we've we've kind of perfectly summed up Memento there, really. Um, we'll go with your number one pick, Daniel. Uh, Inception. Exciting. So, yeah, go on. Blah, blah. <laughs> Inception. Tell us about Inception, Daniel. Well, if you want to read my full reviews on Letterboxd, hit me ah, up. Ah, <laughs> good, good, very good, very good. A little plug there, a shameless plug, I must say. All right, it's Inception. I think is in, ambitious is the word I would use. It's such a bold film. It doesn't try and pander to mass audiences by kind of spoon-feeding them information. If you can't keep up, you can't keep up, and that's your fault. You should work harder to keep up with this film, and it's worth keeping up with, I must say. And next, like how you, on paper, this film may seem like one of those things where it's like amazing a screenplay, but it can, when you make it, it can never be as good because the execution is always going to let it down in some way. It's going to be too obvious to filmmaking or too subtle. But the execution here, I think it's, to quote Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way. Mm. I think that it's just such a well-made film. Is the craft and there's like every element comes together so well from the cinematography, the music, the direction, the production design. They just the way it's the whole the way it's handled is incredibly confidently held, and I like that. Um, I, sorry, my I, I I agree. <laughs> it's like you're not finished, <laughs> is it? Yeah. Um, I know. I, yeah, it's kind of yeah. I really like this film. I I I, I rewatched it recently, and I, and I did still like it. I was still a bit iffy about it, but then on on reflection, I sort of thought like, I was like, no, this is brilliant. I think. In terms of story, I think I prefer other Nolan films, but in terms of the final product of the whole thing coming together, the music, the action, the story as well, like all of that put together, I think it is up there, which is why it's my second place. I I think it's, I think it's stunning. I think it is a little bit, um, I don't want to say overrated, but I guess that is kind of what I'm saying. I think it is a little bit overrated, because I feel like it's always the one that people go to to go, oh that yeah that one, but I feel when I feel like there's so many other Nolan films that are not better but 
a more interesting maybe experience in certain aspects. I think Inception succeeds in all of the parties coming together, whereas The Prestige might work really well for like that final twist and that very rewarding feeling at the sure. end of that. Interstellar does a lot in the works of sort of CGI and realism in sci-fi. Inception brings lots of different elements of filmmaking and does it all very, very well together. So I can, yeah, I, I, I totally appreciate that. Alex, it's like a master you... tapestry. Yeah, where, Alex, where, <laughs> for Inception, where was that on your list? Uh, Inception was number six for me. Oh, okay. Bit, bit of a hit. Where was yours? Number three? Two, number two. Number two for number me. Two. Mm. But that could change depending on when I rewatch Interstellar and The Prestige. <laughs> I really liked Inception um, when I first watched it. I was about mm. f- maybe 14 when I first watched Inception. Mm. Um, I think now looking back... A lot of the reason I liked it was, wow, I'm 14 and this is really cool. Mm. Um, and now it's not so much. I mean, my favorite film about navigating uh, a dream world is Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind. Well, yes, that is that is an incredible shout. Yeah. Um, and I think this is the opposite of that. Because yeah. <clears throat> there are so many... There are so many rules to the dream world and Inception. It all mm. makes too much sense, and he tr- he tries it. It tries to be confusing, but it's not. Mm. Everything makes perfect. Everything that happens, you can kind of yeah. They, there's, there's, they've said some reason why it's happened, or they they've given some explanation of how or why that's happened. Yeah, and I think for a film about dreams, it has to make less sense than it does. Yeah, I I I, I work, Yeah, I do agree with you on that sense. I, I feel like it's one of those things where. I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure what to say about this. Because I feel like, as well, I think my my slight little nitpick, if you want to call it that, um, again, with the, it does feel, the ambiguity, again, is like, it feels a little bit false. And I know it's such a famous film ending as well. Is he still in the dream? Is he not? But I don't, I don't know. I think it's one of those things a little bit like The Dark Knight Rises, where it's either not not obvious, not as obvious as that, but I just think it feels so... It's the only thing of the film where I'm like, when I rewatched it, I was like, this doesn't really feel as earned as I would have liked it. I think it's a brilliant film with a lot of uh, spectacle, but I would agree that I enjoyed it a lot more first time I watched it when it, when I was a lot younger. And I think it's not to patronise it, but it is a lot of people's like first Nolan film that isn't in the Dark Knight trilogy. You know, I watched the, the Dark Knight trilogy, and then my first Nolan film after that was Inception. Mm, you know, that's my first. Mine as well. Yeah, and I think it's. It could be like that for a lot of people as well, especially our generation, I think. But yeah, no, I, I, I do, I, I kind of agree on both sides because I think, that, Daniel, you are right in the sense where it is a it is a brilliant film. It's undeniable. But I think there's a, and I think, to be fair, there's a sort of stigma to kind of feel that like you have to criticise it because it is a little bit overrated. But also, I think everyone loves it. It's kind of like, well, what else can we say about it? So let's let's yeah, try and find let's find the nitpick. About it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I think you know it's in that sense. I don't think that you should have to force a nitpick if it is a brilliant film, and I do think it is a brilliant film. You know, which is why again, it's my second place. I absolutely adore it um, for a lot of different reasons, and I don't. Know, I think a lot of stuff that it does again. I love the the practical set of the the hallway. I know everyone mentions this, but the way they the way it spins around with the cat. It's so bloody clever. I don't know. It's an interesting one. I, I find it interesting as well that there's a film coming out soon, and I can't remember the name of it. Shit. Um, the Reminiscence. Yeah, I think that's it. 
and the Hugh Jackman one with yes, uh, by yes. Lisa Joy. Yes, by Lisa Joy, who's um, obviously married to Jonathan Nolan. Jonathan Nolan. So I find that yeah. very interesting. Who like what's going to happen? Because that seems very similar to not similar to Inception, but conceptually in the way it's presented, it's a little bit like hmm, that. That it's very, very, very close here. Like very kind of similar feeling. I'm getting yeah. from it. The sort of similar thematic ideas. Yeah, like husband and wife, the dream world, all that sort of thing. Like the stories. I mean, I, I hope it's good. You know, as a Westworld fan, you know, I wish the best for Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan. But um, I'd, be, I'd be interested with that as well, because, you know, with that being quite, you know, especially, again, the, the relation there as well in terms of filmmakers and how, how close that'll be. I'm interested. Um, but, yeah, no, on, on, on the topic of um, Inception generally, I, I think I think it's a stunning film. I don't think anyone's going to contest that. Um, but you know there are there are some flaws if you want to nitpick it i think but i can also understand again like alex i can kind of get why you probably put it like lower down on your list because i feel like when inception is talked about so much by so many people i feel like it becomes more annoying over time for other nolan films which don't get appreciated which can do a lot of things inception does everything very well but i think certain films like i can't really like Interstellar, for example, could have like a singular element that it does better than Inception, but everything else isn't as good as Inception. Yeah. And kind of gets overlooked where it's like, look how good this element is. Like, that's that's really good. Um, and I find that with a lot of Nolan films is it has a lot of significant areas in different films which are really good. Inception's the one that kind of covers all of them pretty well and is, you know, it's an enjoyable film. And I think people saying it's it's difficult to follow. Inception is not difficult to follow. I'm sorry, it really isn't. And and I think people who say they are, I mean, try if you if you really don't understand Inception, watch Tenet. I bloody dare you to watch Tenet because like <laughs> that is actually a hard film to follow. Inception is a piece of piss because as you said, Alex, they do explain everything. Everything the has a realistic. Everything has a realistic explanation. I mean, I say realistic, but I do kind of agree. It, it's it seems that. It's almost like a little bit too convenient, if you know what I mean. That they know everything, in a way. Mm. Um, but yeah, and I've waffled a little bit there. I think that's the same with a lot of Nolan's films, though. Yeah. I think that people always say they're really hard to follow, and that, like apparently Dunkirk, a lot of people found very difficult to follow. Dunkirk. And I kind of, yeah, yeah. In fact, I'm pretty sure Dan, you know that interviewer where the the interview is like. Oh, a lot of people say your films are very confusing, and Chris Nolan replies, "Well, you know, fuck it." <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's about Dunkirk. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, <laughs> mm. that's brilliant. I love that. That's the exact kind of response you'd want, though. I think it's that's a perfect summary of Nolan's films. I think I don't know. I don't know what else we can say about Inception that hasn't already been said. I feel like we've covered a lot of it. It's a great film. Um, I had one thing. Sorry, I'm reannoying. No, one it. thing. Like how I think more than Tenet, you can see some of the areas where Inception really succeeds and doesn't get enough, doesn't get enough credit for. For example, mm. in Tenet, where the like lot of exposition there, it is very heavy-handed. You're sat there like, okay, let's absorb information like a sponge right now, like you're in mm. school. Whereas Inception, the first third of that is lots of exposition, but it's presented in such an engaging way that you're really riveted by it. Mm. It doesn't mm. feel like you're being spoon-fed lots of information, for me at least. I'm going to sit there and re-enjoy it still. And a real testament to Nolan, the filmmaker, that he can make something so quite dull, really intriguing as a mystery. Mm. Sorry, Daniel, I wasn't laughing at you, I was, uh, I was laughing at Alex. <laughs> <laughs> and um, for the people I'm listening sorry. on Spotify, I'm not going to explain why. 
<laughs> uh, you enjoy your snack, mate. Um, Thank you. Okay, so I I think we thought we we're done with that. I think we'll talk about the Dark Knight. Mm. Where was this on everyone's list? Because I know it's number one for me. This is my number two. Alex? This is my number four. Okay, that's fair enough, I'd say. I think that's pretty all, high up on all, everyone's all, list. All, all pretty good. We're all, we're all agreeing that this is the best Batman outing mm. uh, in Nolan's filmography. But there's no there's no doubt in that. No one's going to like jump against that. It's excellent. Mm. I think the story is a crime film. Is so bloody good. The, like conceptually, the scenes individually are like excellent. The performances, obviously, notably Heath Ledger, brilliant. I don't think like for me the reason this is at number one is I just do not think this can be topped, really. But like by Nolan, I think it for me specifically it hits all the right areas. Specifically in that Joker performance, which I think is the biggest notable thing about this film for me is, and I think for a lot of people. Is this like a once-in-a-lifetime performance? I don't think you're ever going to see anything that good again for like a long time. I've seen some bloody good performances in like times I've watched films, but it's a good one. It's a bloody good performance, Heath Ledger as the Joker, and I think he brings such a refreshing take to it. When I first watched this film when I was younger, I didn't like Heath Ledger's performance as the Joker. I didn't like it at all. I really didn't like it because... I was a little Batman comic book nerd and I was like, well, he's not like Mark Hamill. He's not giggling and laughing and like pulling out fake teeth or whatever. But as mm. I've got older, I've grown to appreciate that more and more. And bloody hell, it's a good performance in all areas, really. Yeah. I was saying that. Um, sorry, carry on. No, no, you go. I've changed your subject slightly, but I'm not subject. I was saying that um, Aaron Eckhart's Harvey Dent deserves praise, though. I think uh, everyone who says. Heath Ledger is the man's film. However, I also think Aaron Eckhart, Gary Oldman, they both deserve a lot of praise for their performances. I know Gary Oldman's a much smaller cap role, but still, I think mean, they're really, they're, they're like the anchors in this film and allow Heath Ledger to shine, but they're there, like bedrock to this film. Mm. Along with the, obviously the other sporting cast, like Norman Freeman, Christian Bale, and all the other great characters, but yeah. Michael Caine. <laughs> I think. Um... <laughs> I, I think Aaron Eckhart in this film is really annoying, but I think that's the point. Yeah. Um, if, uh, when he's when he's um, like the first half or the first however long when he's not Two Face, he's just a, an annoying dude. And then when he's Two Face, he's an annoying dude with half a face. Like, I think he's just supposed <laughs> to be annoying, uh, like all the time. I, I don't know. I I think that performance again. I, as Daniel's made a very good point of, I think is overlooked. But I think all the performances in this film are overlooked because Heath Ledger is so good. Mm. You know, I I I do think he's good as um, Two Face, Aaron Eckhart. But I think uh, he's it, good. I just think it's an yeah. annoying character. Yeah, no, it is an annoying character. But again, as you said, I think that is the point. He's supposed to be a politician, and he's trying to make <laughs> the city peaceful and all this sort of thing. Like he's the cool dude. He's the cool dude that everyone likes that you don't. Mm. Um, and I think that is part of it. I, I don't know. I, it's really difficult to talk about this film and not talk about Heath Ledger because that's what like my like passion for it comes from. Yeah. I think the way this film opens is brilliant. I think in terms oh, of opening, opening scenes is, is so good. You can just watch that again and again and again. And the way they reveal the joke, I, I just think it's really bloody clever. I think the way they do it, the way they're all talking about this mysterious Joker figure, they've never actually met him, they don't know him, but he's amongst them. Um, 
and he ends up getting them all killed bar him takes away all the money and that reveal where he takes off the mask and the line delivery the music everything about that scene is just immaculate to me that, mm. that the sequence at least i think is so well put together so well conceived so well acted the music's gorgeous and that does oh, carry through amazing that does carry through the rest of the film as well i think the sequence again where the joker is arrested and he's got um the the two characters in the um sort of with, with the oil drums and he gives like batman the opposite locations and mm. it's so clever and manipulative and brilliant and it's so i don't know i just love this film i just I, I love every part of this film i love the way it's put together i love the story i love the way it unfolds it's always satisfying it never gets old to watch the dark knight for me i think it's always a hell of a good time and it's always just yeah it's just brilliant fantastic stuff. i i can't really say much else about it it's just a bloody good film and it never gets old to watch mm. It is actually hard to talk about it. It's mm. kind of such a good film, but obviously so much has been said about it, and like it is just everyone, good. yeah, everyone and their mums knows about the Dark Knight and knows that it's yes. a brilliant yeah. film. There's not much you can say that hasn't already been said. It's hard. Like, it's certainly hard to kind of cut my original thought on this film when it's so well covered and kind mm. of analysed mm. by film buffs and everyone alike. Really, mm. I had reanimal film, but how, like, I think it's well known fact that having more than one villain in a superhero film can backfire as seen in Spider-Man 3 which came out mm. a year before mm. how you think oh no when, when I kind of think oh Harvest Harvey Two-Face or Two-Face and a Joker like, oh no that might be uh, too much to handle too many cooks spoil the broth but actually I think it really they work it's interesting how they work together like whereas in Spider-Man 3 the villains were very disjointed they're like how mm. they're safe but they're there for the sake of it like oh we need a Sandman okay mm. we need Venom okay we need the Green Goblin played by Harry okay yeah. it's kind I... of like okay uh, yeah. Or is this they really kind of they, they actually have a point? They serve each other. It's just really interesting. It's a good, it's a, it's a, it's a good point you're making. I, I think it's an interesting one, but I think with all of Nolan's Batman films, there's always like two villains yeah. or at least two, you know, a kind of antagonist characters, I suppose. Mm. Oh no, there is. I Dark Knight's best execution. Yeah. I Dark Knight's mm. best execution. Like that. I think and that, really and that I would totally agree with. I think, yeah, I, I think what, what, when we were talking earlier about. Scarecrow and Rachel Ghoul not really feeling like to, like the way like Harvey Dent's story and Joker's story overlap and like intertwine with each other is so well done. The yeah. way the Joker is the origin for Two Face is brilliant, and be I think the, again the best villain duo. It's the best way to do it because in these Spider-Man films, the big mistake they make is they have the villains find each other and then team up because they all hate Spider-Man and. In this, it's it's different. It's like Two Face absolutely despises the Joker, but has given him like he's lost everything, and he's like he, you know again it's that sort of thing. The famous quote from the film: "If you don't, is it <laughs> fucking? I can't even remember the fucking quote. It's not been that long. You do, you know if you don't, I can't remember it. What the fuck is it? Someone help me out. The fucking. I have no idea which quote you're talking about. You either die a hero or you live long and foresee yourself become the villain. Thank you, Daniel, for picking me out of that hole. As deep as the one in Dark Knight Rises. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, it, it's it's such a it's a line that's realised so well in that character's arc. Um, when I first watched this film when I was a kid, my dad told me that. Like when we were watching it, he was like, because obviously I knew like it was Harvey Dent. I was a Batman fan, and he was like, 
Oh, I've heard rumours that in the next, like, the final Batman film they're doing, because at the time, Dark Knight Rises doesn't come out, or there wasn't, like, a trailer or anything. He's like, oh, I've heard a rumour that they're going to have him as Two-Face in the next one. I was like, oh, that'll be good. And obviously, he'd seen the film before, like, The Dark Knight, which I don't know why, but that sort of elevated, like, my enjoyment of it almost to, like, find out and be like, oh, my God, they're doing it in this film. Ah, you bastard. That's, like, it's <laughs> it was really exciting to see that, and especially when they take that um, the sort of, the sort of cover, the surgical cover off the face and you see what he looks like. The effects work is incredible there. Um, yeah. I just think, yeah, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of things when they divert too far from the comics. I'm quite picky with that, but the Dark Knight gets a pass because both interpretations of both of those characters are so well thought out and so well done. I don't care how accurate or inaccurate they are to the comics. They are incredible. They are superb in every sense. But yeah, I don't know what else you can say about the Dark Knight. I think, I was just going to say, like, I think yeah. it's interesting, because obviously the Joker's got so many, like, quotable lines. He's got so many quips, so many one-liners. But mm. that doesn't ruin this film for me the same way it does The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. I'm not sat there going, like, waiting for him to say the line. Mm. Like, uh, like The Simpsons, like, say the line, but I'm not... <laughs> I, I'm not... It doesn't ruin the film. It's not for the... It's not for the same reason. I'm sort of like, oh, this line's really good. Whereas in The Dark Knight Rises, it's just, it's funny to mm. me. Mm. When Bane, especially when Bane says the lines. And don't get me wrong, I love Tom Hardy as Bane, but like when Heath Ledger delivers those, like the famous lines from The mm. Joker, mm. Um, it's still, even though I'm expecting them and I'm waiting for them, it's still, it doesn't detract from the film in the same way. It's, I know what you mean, yeah. It's, yeah, you're, 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 you're bang on. I think it, to compare it as well, and I don't look. I'm gonna save like shitting on Zack Snyder's Justice League for when I actually talk about that film individually. But a lot of people were throwing around that that had the best Batman Joker interaction of all time in that film. Hmm. No. Yeah. <laughs> this this film, especially. I mean that that famous scene where the, it's the, the good cop bad cop routine. That scene mm. is so bloody good, and I feel like I'm saying that about almost every scene in The Dark Knight. And I could sit here for another hour and basically talk through every single scene and go, "Oh, that scene's so bloody good," because it is incredible. It's so bloody well put together. I don't know. Is there anything else you guys want to say about The Dark Knight before I transition into our little final mini segment? I have one last thing, that's it. That it's been often said, but I really can't be overstated. Mm. That ending with the two barges is such a great setup for a conclusion because unlike, not, I think, who I think I hate Marvel films, but I don't, the blue beam in the sky thing, where it's world ending, is like, you know it's not going to end the world because they'll reverse it in the next film or they'll find a way to stop it at the last minute. Whereas that barges, both barges could be blown up and it could still have a third film. It's like the stakes are there. These people could die. Realistically, mm, it's tangible. Mm. And such a great, like, go, like how you'd think the films, films usually work, they build up a massive climax, scale gets bigger, 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 until you get the world ending thing at the end of the film. But actually, to go to a smaller scale thing at the end of that film, mm. the stakes are still really high, but it's really tangible. I think it's a fantastic ending, the, really the clever thing, use. The thing that's so clever about that as well is a lot of superheroes fall into the trope of the villain just trying to kill the hero. And this is one of the only superhero films I've seen which just goes no, no, the Joker does not want to kill Batman the Joker does not want to kill Batman he wants like he wants first of all Batman to break his only code of like not killing anyone but he also he wants to, he wants to test them he wants to ruin the faith of the city and he does succeed in that this is a film where the villain wins really other than the boat thing but he does turn yeah. Harvey Dent Harvey Dent and that's that's what he set out to do you know 
I think again, but the, yeah, the boat thing's brilliant. It takes like a, a very cheesy Batman concept, and uh, it makes it work for a serious film. Um, unlike again, yeah. as I said, the Dark Knight Rises, which I know Alex has a lot of problems with being a bit too cheesy and a bit like that. This does have that. That that boat thing is a very classic Batman scenario, but it's done in such a serious, very real way. I feel like if it, it was, yeah, if it was done in like a, a cheesier film, you wouldn't have seen anyone on the boats. You would have just seen the boats in the background. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, one of those boats is gonna explode, and then it doesn't. Mm, and then they've got yeah, the bit this... with the with the prisoner taking the detonator mm. and lobbing it out the window, mm. which is such a nice moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're so ready for one of these boats to go. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's just well, a really like nice the civilians moment. in the other boat. From like how the other civilians in the other boat, the guy says, "Oh, we should use it. They're only prisoners. They deserve to die. They've had their chance in life." That's quite telling that the prisoners have more sense of morality than the actual seemingly yeah, innocent people in this world. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Like the, the film's morality is really interesting. Like also the whole Lucius Fox thing with surveillance, obviously very appropriate, not only for the time with George Bush and the Patriot Act, but also still now in surveillance, it's still very appropriate and very, very kind of, hmm. very uh, in touch with what's going on in the world. Mm. Yeah. Although the, the the citizen can't can't do it either. He picks up the detonator and holds it, and then he can't bring yeah, himself he... to. Mm. That's what Batman says afterwards, isn't it? He's like uh, something about you. You didn't see the good in people that is there, or something. Mm. Yeah. like that. Pretentious. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it is. It, it does have a very. But that's the thing. Again, with this film, like almost every scene, I'm like, this is brilliant. This is so well done. This is so clever. This is so well written. This is so well acted. Yes. And the music. Yeah, and the music's Ooh. excellent. One of my favourite scores of all excellent. time. James Newton Howard and Hans Zimmer. That is absolutely stupendous. Really great <laughs> yeah. stuff. Oh, it's, it is brilliant. And yeah, I, I, I don't know. That's kind of that's why it's my number one, I think. Though I, I, everything we've mentioned there. I don't think there's too much I can say about this film, really, or that any of us can say, that hasn't already been said. So, before we wrap up this podcast, I'm going to have a little bonus <laughs> card in here. To talk about a film that I don't think I don't think we're going to struggle to say much about because I feel like nothing really has been said about this film or short film. Um, it's the only other Christopher Nolan directorial thing that we can actually talk about because it's not behind like a university firewall or something uh, from his <laughs> olden days. Because uh, back into the University of College London. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Um, we're going to talk about Doodlebug very, very briefly. Very briefly. Emphasis on the very there. Uh, and briefly, of course. Um, <laughs> Doodlebug um, is a brilliant short film, which you can find on YouTube. It's only about, what, five minutes? Three minutes? minutes? Three minutes, something like that. Yeah, yeah two, cool. two minutes. Quite, quite short. Definitely worth your time. For a sort of... Was it a university project? Am I right in saying that? I think it was, wasn't it? I, I had an idea in my head. I don't know where I found that idea, but was it came from somewhere. It was like a link to a university project or something like that. But mm. I could be completely off mark there, so don't quote me. Yeah, here we go. He created the film during his university days. Mm. Uh, I don't I, think there's a project if he just made it. I just think it's it's so simple. It's so fun. It was made on a $1,000 budget. That's incredible. Um, it's just so creative. And uh, again, a very, very telling for his you know, his career and the future from that. Very simple, very basic, but, you know, very well, well put together. Yeah, very well executed. 
<laughs> what else can yeah. we say? I mean, it, it's great. There's a little bonus for you, Doodlebug. Go and watch it if you haven't. Uh, if you've seen every other feature-length film on this list and you haven't seen Doodlebug, just pop that in. It's only on YouTube. It's three minutes. Go and watch it. You're a big fan of uh, Big Chef, Little Chef from when you were a kid. It's like a very similar concept <laughs> to Big Chef, Little Chef. Apart from there's no spoons in this one being ridden. No spoons. No spoon. No, no. no, no cream on the face. No, it's... Uh... Oh, God. <laughs> you know, of all things I would thought would come up in this podcast, Big Cook, Little Cook with the cream face. I wasn't expecting that. I'll be honest. And on that lovely note, we're going to wrap this up here. Um, before we do, though, <laughs> before we do, God, you had two and a half hours. Before we do, um, do you guys have anything you would like to sort of mention, uh, promote, all that sort of thing, like letterbox pages, for example, or any other social media things, projects, etc.? No, I'm boring, but go follow my letterbox if you want. I'm sure George will put the link in the uh, in the description bit. For those who can't be asked to look at the description, what is your name on Letterbox? You're going to make me look, aren't you? Hold on. Is it Alex Burns, right? It is indeed. That's an original idea. Isn't it just? It's just Alex Baldry. That's uh, Alex, spelt the normal way, and then uh, B-A-L-D-R-Y. Yeah. Uh, yeah, get my followers up. <laughs> there, there we go. I'm on 35 followers, I mean, so I mean, let's get me to 100. Let's go. Let's get into 36. <laughs> Uh, Daniel, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Daniel, what's, uh, what's your letterbox? Can see more... uh, same with me. Yeah. My letterbox is Dan underscore Matthews. That's double T. Yeah. In Matthews. Brilliant. Yeah, Mine, Dan. <laughs> we've all... right, it's both, it's both... Yeah, yeah we've, we've all got our own film reviews and stuff on there. Um, obviously, as you're aware, mine is Ace Creeper. Again, linked on the same page. If you want to follow Spill Your Beans on Twitter, it is at Spill Your Beans. Um, so you can go and check that out there for the latest updates and all that sort of thing for new podcasts. Please do follow along on here, and we'll see you next week with it uh, when we're back, going back to normal uh, standalone film reviews. We hope you've enjoyed this extra long discussion uh, talking about Christopher Nolan's directorial filmography. And uh, yeah, see you later. Bye. There we go. Bye bye. <laughs>